Hey there, Steven. This is Inyash. Hey, Inyash. This is Steven. Uh, what's the deal with you using your actual name today? I, I mean, I like it, but just curious. You know, I was trying to think of a funny one, and I, I couldn't because this is a somber episode. And I was trying to think of a, of a Groot-related one, but I just figured I'd open and say, on this, on this day, we are all Groot. And <laughs> it, is, it is a... Man, pour one out for solace. This is fucked. Yeah. But okay. that's later on, so... It is. So this, we are here to discuss this this thing. That's right. This is a podcast called Not Everything is a Clue, where Inyash and I sit down to discuss Alexander Whale's uh, web serial called Worth the Candle. It is a fantastic web serial. You can support Alexander Whale's directly at his Patreon, which is linked in our show notes and at our homepage, hpmorpodcast.com. You can also support us there if you like this podcast, and we kick back 15% to Alexander as well. And with that being said, we had a thing from the audience that we wanted to cover before we jumped into it, right? That's right. All righty. From the audience, Sharur says that uh, this is in relation to the RPG game that they played in Council <laughs> of Arches. I was more impressed with how Amaryllis dealt with Fen's mischief than with Fen's mischief personally. I guess my brain still hasn't acclimated to Amaryllis not following the stereotype that I expect from her kind of character, which is to just get annoyed and flustered rather than being able to de- deflect and redirect eh, and redirect smoothly. Um, which is a good comment and I think is an example of, I don't know, Alexander Wales writing leadership more effectively than most people who I guess aren't naturally leaders themselves or else they'd be out reading instead of sitting alone in a office or a basement or a Starbucks typing out words. <laughs> but um, oftentimes, yeah, leaders are written as this like, if someone is not following your orders and being rebellious, they get all annoyed and flustered. And maybe that's funny or maybe it's, you know, a cool moment for the person that's being the rebel but uh an actual good leader would be able to deflect and redirect like amaryllis does especially if she's had a lifetime of experience and she does so quite well so that was that was a good point i didn't touch on didn't alexander notice. seems to consistently be able to like perfectly model or represent just like a thousand walks of life you know when when he was describing the inside of lois lane's head i'm like has alexander been a journalist in the 1920s like i just <laughs> like it's it's it paints such a good picture and you're right like this is i mean compare amaryllis's leadership style to quarrels yeah. you know it's it, quarrel would might let fetton get away with it but then would definitely kill her or something or or <laughs> get impatient you know whatever but she she rolled with all the punches like for the sake of the game it was hilarious i loved that little side story yeah it was really good okay well in that case was there another one or should we jump into the thing I think that's all I've got, man. Okay. Then we should start on chapter 56, which is Vacation Vocations. Yay. Man, I gotta I gotta get out of the blues for uh for the solace business. I'll save it for that. So but uh, we start in with with happy stuff. We get uh some some I, I like the ones that open up with skill increase, new virtue, you know, and all that stuff. Like, all right, training, power-ups. Mm-hmm. What was that phrase you had? It would have been like in the prequel or like the first episode like all things are or nothing is sacred when num- when you're making numbers go up or something yes i don't remember the exact wording but yeah <laughs> numbers going up is the most important thing always that's right so he's he's fighting with blunted weapons against both amaryllis and fen and he gets uh two virtues wait three virtues 
Yes, because he gets uh, his several martial abilities up to 20, which looks to be another uh, another point break for some virtues. The first one being Lunge Striker, which says it eliminates the maneuverability penalty for all reach weapons, but eliminates the penalty for striking at close range with reach weapons. And I pulled this out because, like, this just seems kind of weird if you're actually, you know, running around swinging reach weapons in a hallway or wherever it is you are, like... How do you how do you remove a penalty? It, it sounds like you know there's modifiers to dice rolls that are being rolled somewhere, and those modifiers are being taken away. But like, what what is the dice roll when you're just sitting there swinging a a pole around? Is it like just before you had less? I know kung fu boost, and and that now that penalty is taken away, so you get more of it to simulate the minus X roll. I don't know. I I don't know this. This was the first perk. This one, and then you get some. Neophyte blade bound, and oh, the other one was uh, prescient blade. Half the normal penalty to parry bullets, arrows, or other missile weapons. Yeah. So apparently, parrying bullets is a thing, and now you take half the normal penalty. I'm, I'm. That's not damage. I guess that's just like odds of failure or something. But like, there's no reason you suddenly become twice as good at that, right? It's right. so. So this this lunge striker thing and the neophyte blade bound all fall together. Neophyte lets him meditate with a weapon for a few minutes a melee weapon and he suddenly becomes twice as good with it and this also doubles the parry chance and so you can oh and you can cut with it as though it were twice as sharp so yeah the answer to how does lunge striker fucking work is magic shenanigans like i because you're right i mean i'm swinging a pole arm in a hallway uh i it's just imagine you're mid combat when you get this level up or this perk Mm-hmm. And suddenly you're finding I'm not thrown off balance. And suddenly I'm finding I'm not clinging against the walls as much. It's yeah. it's just going to be... Just makes you better. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I guess it's just somehow... I, I mean, I'm trying to think of like map this to anything real world wise. And, you know, you, you could be better. But I, I've got to think that he's not merely better. Like this is strictly like magic uh, shenanigans. It doesn't say like you can now... Uh, tolerate this better or whatever it's eliminates the maneuverability penalty for all reach weapons like right, but it's, el- but- eliminates the maneuverability doesn't like have it or whatever you know where like you could you could practice and get half better or twice as good at it yeah. this makes you perfect at it it's it's insane <laughs> <laughs> like was the maneuverability penalty the fact that it's kind of large and unwieldy and now you get to ignore the inertia of the weapon or something it's it's strange phrasing man i know it's it's wild i don't quite know um i mean allows you to move or allows you to more quickly cover ground when moving in short bursts in a fighting stance that's that sounds like a just dodging in a video game where you press circle to roll or whatever (laughs) yeah i mean i guess he just literally moves faster yeah and you have to be in the right stance and suddenly you can move quicker i don't know man this is uh you know it's weird this should have just jumped out i mean we talked about it but not as just like you know, hold the fuck up when uh, <laughs> he got double the blood. You know, we we talked about it. You know, is his blood twice as dense? Is it just like twice as effective when he's doing blood magic? So the the drop number goes up, but the actual count stays the same. Yeah. Like that one, is we there could like just... a separate dimension where the blood is stored that just he flows in whenever he needs it up to a certain limit. Does it? Can he operate at full capacity with fifty percent blood? I would assume so. It sure sounds like it. In which case, like, bleeding a ton doesn't sound like... I mean, he, he could bleed enough to where everyone would assume he was dead. 
And then he gets up and he's like, aha, I'm fine. (laughs) That would be an awesome trick. I hope he does it. Or maybe if like he's running away and needs to make this floor slippery behind him, he just cuts a vein (laughs) open and bleeds all over the floor. I wonder if, uh, if then his assailant tripped and got some on them slash in them, then you could debuff them with, uh, that whatever negative blood stuff. That would Um, be great. Yeah. He'd be, he could be like a reverse vampire where he cuts his own wrist and like shoves them in people's mouths. I suspect we'll definitely see that at some point. (laughs) There's, there's no way that it would mention that. Oh, by the way, you can also hurt people by doing this and he's not going to keep in, keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely going to shove his blood into somebody at some point. Nice. Maybe to this asshole, maybe to Grindelwald here in prison. Yeah. I mean, he's probably cannibal, you know, because he's... Because elf. Uh, well, and, he, you know, he, the, he he screams dark wizard, you know? Yes. Yeah. So I think he had taken an opportunity to take a bite out of June, and then June's like, ha-ha, now I've got you. Yeah. All right, we'll see how that shakes out. But anyway, the other pullout from this is that uh, apparently the any blade does count as one weapon. Fuck which yeah. that is just a plus one for munchkinery right there mm-hmm. um you know that's so unfair again it's great <laughs> when it's us right mm-hmm. but like when you're fine if, if you told someone else about this perk and it's like oh great now you're so what your your long weapon or whatever it's like nope all of them and you just like you know blitz through 20 in a second to show them all the shapes mm-hmm. that's that's what i would call cheating if i was fighting june <laughs> it's, it's awesome technique right um I don't know what else so to pull he, out here. Yeah. He goes on and he's uh, chatting with various companions during this vacation time, uh, including Grack, who leads, uh, <laughs> who, um, when he asks him about the reproductive system, uh, gives him a 30 minute lecture on dwarf and self insemination. <laughs> I can't remember if he's asking about reproduction or if he's asking about other stuff. And Grack is like, watch me turn this, uh, like conversation into something that I think will scare you away, which mm. that was a smart move for Greg. It was, but apparently he went on for 30 minutes, so it, it didn't scare June away. What is there to say for 30 minutes about any sort of insemination? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of erotica written about it, but I kind of get the feeling that's not what Greg was doing. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't painting him a sorted, you know, picture. Apparently it was a as a lecture. I mean, maybe it's a very complicated biological process. I don't I, know. I, I I feel like you could cover basically every kind of insemination on the history of Earth in 30 minutes. I think you should never underestimate how long you can get a, a nerd of a certain subject to go on about that subject. <laughs> Valid. <laughs> um, oh, I did have a, a quick thing. If And if you don't have anything, we can just push past it. But June was wondering, like, what kind of perk dependency slash synergy might work with other, like, with magic instead of uh, melee. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, the only thing that he, and he also thinks, like, pustral mage might be involved there because it relates to skin and bone and blood. But I, you know, it seems like body is the, the linking factor there. Yeah. And he already got one, which was the double blood perk, but that wasn't like a synergistic per- perk. Right, not like the bladebound one was. Right, so, I, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on what that kind of synergy could look like. You know, half mana consumption for all spells, maybe. No, I would think like if you have that sort of because he's got blood, skin, and bone, and um, he says the fourth one probably pustule, which he's not even going to touch because gross. But like if he got that one too, I don't know. Maybe there's other body magics too. But I would assume if you got all the body magics, the synergy bonus would be something like. Um, Do you ever see Akira? 
I don't think so, somehow. Nope. It, well, I mean, it, it's one of the foundational animes, but uh, in it, in the end, Tetsuo, like, gets to basically become what I would consider, like, a body mage, except he has absolutely no control over his magic. So it just goes out of control, and he keeps growing more and more flesh and limbs, and they're, you know, kind of out of control. It's a massive body horror scene, but um, I would imagine it's something like that, where you have almost infinite, perfect control over by all your own biology and you can you know extend it duplicate it whatever except you know you could actually control it instead of it being out of control hmm that sounds like uh not entry level like uh because bladebound is going to keep going up until he can cut through six inch steel like it was you know warm butter yeah so that sounds like the the top level perk there all right, right cool. probably like mastery or rather than neophyte yeah that's fun i don't have any ideas myself so i just wanted to to brainstorm with you on that for a second so um, that that was like when I saw your note, that was immediately what it went to. I'd be like, oh, yeah, it'd be like Akira, except he can control it. I wonder maybe better healing powers or being able to create life or something might be another one. Yeah, maybe at yeah. first he can like kind of like be a little bit more stretchy, like um, Mr. Fantastic kind of thing. Right. Or like re rearrange his face to look like other people. I'm just thinking if, if he can, you know, maybe breathe skin and blood and bone and life into non- uh living objects Ooh, but that, that definitely sounds as... god tier yeah yeah i was about to say yeah so he's not there yet but um all right so he's talking with grack about the uh intricacies of cloacal winking and insemination and he's trying to get grack's loyalty up um hmm. he explains that i guess he gets a point for saying sorry i'm fucking fen um but he, he's trying to explain hey look you saw how amaryllis and fen are all badass now that's because they're at 10 loyalty and Grack didn't care. Like, he's like, I'm yeah. not having any of it. Mm-hmm. And the only downside there, because then June's thinking, well, how do I grind loyalty just to make him better? Which is a nice, you know, way of thinking about it. Um, he's not doing it because, like, he wants Grack to lend him money or something. You know, he's yeah. doing it for his own best interest. But since he told him about, like, hey, look, when their loyalty went up, they got these powers. And he's like, whatever, don't care. Then I think Grack's going to be on the extra lookout for loyalty bumps. Grack's going to be on the lookout or June? Grack, like I think he'll, I think he will be less. Re- uh, whereas this had a positive effect with Amaryllis, where she was not just like more inclined to give June loyalty, but was able to give him several points at once. I think Grack is going to be like negatively primed to give loyalty. Oh he's yeah, like, yeah. Ah, June's going to try and make me more loyal to him. That is exactly what I would think of Grack as well. Yeah, so uh, that's bummer. That yeah, that is. He's he's not a trusting soul by nature, but you know that's crack oh yeah no i mean i i think having a higher threshold for earning trust is awesome i mainly just like i want to see what he gets like when he gets leveled up i think you know i was about to say that it's probably it was dumb of june to try to you know try that on grack but on the other hand like if june withheld that information from grack that would be even worse because then he really would be trying to manipulate him for loyalty whereas this way he's just giving him the same information he gave everyone else and trying to be honest which i think is a better thing he needs to explain it to the six-eyed doe as well. Well, how do you explain it to a doe, though? I, I, your your guess is as good as mine. Okay. Um, one of these other little, like these are just two little couple paragraph cutscenes. One with him in Grack, and one with him in Solace. And the Solace one, nothing really happens. She's hanging out with the doe, and he's whatever tending to his plant. But I just needed to point out that this was like the last time we get to really hang out with Solace at all. Yeah. So. That's fucked. I'm bummed. All right, let's keep going. 
Okay. <laughs> this whole episode is Stephen going to be bummed. I'll, I'll power through. Okay. Oh, uh, last see. thing with Grack, because I was curious yes. on your thoughts on this as someone who's DM'd. Um, mm-hmm. He said that Grack wasn't very good at role playing, though he did learn my uh, entirely homebrew rules system fairly quickly. And after our second session, he had some very specific ideas about who about who Bachwin was, which he shared with me at length. And then another parenthetical, he shot down all of my attempts at contribution and his loyalty still didn't change. So I, I've never DM'd, but I think that I disagree. I feel like if uh, Grax got a solid idea of who his character is and knows what her motivations are and, and isn't swayed by input, it seems like he's really good at role-playing. Uh, he may be really good at character creation, but role-playing is more than just the character creation. A lot of it is like interacting with the other players and with the story and and staying in character when you're doing in character stuff. I mean, we didn't get to see very much of Grack uh, role playing. So we just have have June's word for it at this point. Oh, yeah, you're right. I was thinking he's good at making a character with like solid um, pieces and components to it. But we he maybe is just basically playing as himself when he's playing Bachwin. Of yeah, course, that's Fen, know, but we don't get to right. hear him talk about Fen, so. No, and even if you are just playing with yourself with some exaggerated features, that can be fine. But, you know, as long as you keep interacting with the story and with the characters and spinning spinning a tale together. If you're more sedate and not interacting very much, that's, I mean, that's can be fine. That's okay. Everyone can't be in the spotlight all the time, you know. But um, it can be, you know, too much of not engaging sometimes, possibly. I don't yeah. know. That would be my assumption of what um, of how Grack is playing, but I, I can't actually say. Okay. No, I appreciate your input as a as someone who's DM'd stuff. So, um, it, yeah, all right, I'll lead us into time. the <laughs> I'll lead I'll lead us into the Fen bit. So um, they're not discussing any of the like um, narrative business with Fen because she just can't handle it, and so her way of dealing with it is just not thinking about it or talking about it whatsoever. Which mm-hmm. he says he kind of admires. Um, that he said if we'd been on Earth, they would have probably been, "Oh my God, is that an elf?" But after that, they'd gotten over that. They would have said that this wasn't a healthy way of dealing with problems. Yes. And first of all, that was funny. And second of all, he's not wrong. I, I do think, and I was, I think, I got one. I got my first real example later on in this reading. Like Fen's inability to just look into the darkness and face reality is going to stymie her ability to contribute to the group. You know, yeah. she, she, she seems like she can't handle it at all. And before I forget, cause I remember I thought this, like Grack puts up wards later and they're talking in them and she's just like, uh, I'm out. And mm-hmm. like, she just walks through them. She didn't know that they didn't also hurt people. Like I didn't know they didn't <laughs> hurt people. It could, it could have been a, like a physical barrier, but she just goes walking into it. Now it was only supposed to block light and sound, but you know, it's like, I don't know. She's, she's going to just, I, I, I'm curious on your thoughts on this. That's why I pulled it out because I feel like her inability to even be in the same room while this is being talked about is a, not a good way to deal with problems, but b going to bite all of them in the ass. Well, I basically agree with you on both, both counts. I, uh, I really empathize with Fen here because that is my natural instinct too, to whenever there's an issue, just ignore it and hope it goes away. I'm not terribly good with personal conflict and, it's been a real struggle. I've been trying to get better at it. I think I have gotten better at it over the years and, you know, I can, I can actually confront things now. Um, but I totally get her instinct. And I was like, yeah, that's maybe this is another one of the reasons I like Ben so much because I see a lot of myself in her 
And that would be my first instinct too. And now I have some training to go against my instincts, but she still sticks with her instincts, which is also extra relatable because her instincts are literally life-saving sometimes <laughs> with her luck thing. So you, you don't want to go against your instincts because then you end up fucking going to the host and going to be executed after your mission. It must be hard to have character growth as an elf when your instincts basically literally always serve you really well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it, to be fair to her too, it's not even just like interpersonal conflict. This is like existential conflict. Yeah. So, you know, it, it is a lot, but everyone else is taking it in stride. They're like, all right, this might be the case. Let's, let's chat about it. But they're not the ones who are going to either be, have, you know, be serially cheated on and or cut in half or meet some other ill fates. So. Right. The fact that she just walks right out when those, that sort of thing is discussed is I think really going to be a liability because maybe things are decided or said in there that she could have had some input on and now she doesn't. And then she's got to get cut, cut up to speed on what they're going to do once they reconvene. Yeah. Or they're going to need to have a conversation in a situation where she can't just like run away. Maybe she'll hide in the glove. I mean, hmm. I don't know. I guess we'll see. But all right. Uh, after they get done with all that, they are uh, just laying around talking about Earth. He doesn't talk about D&D because Arthur comes up and she can't, you know, it's too close to home. And uh, so he's just talking about Earth shit, you know nuclear weapons the uh eisenhower interstate system yeah and then uh as she as they're falling asleep uh she says that we could go to mcdonald's together if they ever go to earth and he says please let mcdonald's not be the only thing you've taken away from what i've told you and she says juniper (laughs) they have a hundred billion served you have to respect that (laughs) that was an awesome line that was fantastic we both pulled it out yeah it was fantastic i mean game you know hey she she she's right can't beat that (laughs) so they call it a night um he wakes up before fen and emerilis is already up and uh luckily because fen's still asleep he can actually have a serious conversation with her about serious stuff because there's no worry about spooking the half elf and Mm. they've i guess they're gonna i'm not sure you know it's montage chapter but they're sitting down to compare notes and you didn't pull this out. So I was curious because I mean, you know, we can't both pull out everything, but this line was, we had both taken note of the largest thing that stood out. There were precious few plots or narrative arcs that Uther had left behind when he disappeared. But the reason for that eluded us. Yeah. And Um, all I can think of is that he didn't want to leave any loose threads. Like he probably wrapped them all up as best he could on his way to wherever he is. That would be my guess too. That since, you know, he's still a, decent guy and uh and he's trying to be the best king ever he doesn't want to leave his kingdom with all these you know adventures right in the middle of them all these monsters still running around unvanquished so he wraps up as much as he can as as neatly as he can and maybe there's a few things left undone that he can't quite get to but uh once that's once that's all done then he takes off because he doesn't want to just drop things and go i could see how that would work with quests but like with narrative arcs you know it that's almost like you know, did he finally have that whatever uh, growth moment with all of his kids or something before leaving too? Like those seem harder to wrap up intentionally. Um, I guess. Well, I mean, when he's he's been writing and looking at narrative arcs for forty years of his life at this point. Maybe, <laughs> valid. Yeah, <laughs> maybe he's them gotten, all up. Yeah, gotten into a place where he can kind of recognize when they're coming to an end and can speed them along or slow them down or just nudge him in a direction yeah all right well that settles that for me 
Okay. I mean, that's that's my guess anyway. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's and, good enough for me. And they do talk a bit about how he is losing weight again, which is bad because he's, you know, super muscly and 2% body fat and all that shit. Well, probably more than 2% because it says he's attractive. Um, but uh, he, he's, he's shedding weight. He's sickly. And Amaryllis said, if I had no desire to eat, but it was necessary for the survival of myself and my party, I would endure the pleasantness and force the food down, which I pulled this out because I thought it was, it was just brutal. Her calling back to the, look, I was willing to get married to someone and have sex with someone I didn't like for the rest of my life, for the good of the country. And you can't even force some food down for the party. Like man up, stop being such a candy ass. Is that just a wimp? Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. You said, I, I see your note here where you says, what is candy ass? I've, I think I got it from old Western movies or possibly like <laughs> parodies of old Western movies, but it's, it's the non-gendered version of don't be a pussy or man up or something. Right. Cause all genders can have candy asses. See, to me, that sounds like a good thing, but <laughs> yeah. I guess candy's kind of brittle though. If you said get kicked in a candy, butt, then the butt would break. Right. Oh yeah, totally. Now, now I get it. It's, you know, equipping a, a dandy, whatever old Westerns yeah. would say. I could see candy ass being both a line in, a Clint Eastwood movie or Blazing Saddles. So, uh, yeah, I don't remember where I got it from exactly. So, do you think that she was giving his? Because he he took it as a reference to the conversation they had about like, you know, I would endure if you wanted to fuck me or whatever because I you mm-hmm. know wanted to stay relevant. He took it as a reference to that, and she's like, "Oh no, I I wasn't doing that." <sighs> you know, I mean, I'm not going to call her a liar. Maybe she didn't do it intentionally, and that's just always her frame of mind that you make those sacrifices. And so it didn't even register to her that the most recent experience June had with that was when she said that to him about uh, marrying him and fucking him. So I could see maybe how it slipped under her radar that that is his reference point for that sort of thing. But I mean, I definitely think it's in the same school of things. Yeah. Maybe it's not intentional. Uh, reference just because yeah her idea of like look you bite bullets that's what you do um Mm -hmm. you know and if that means eating a healthy meal june you suck it up and do it um yeah all right yeah i can dig it i just thought that either he was seeing sassiness or there wasn't or she was playing it off perfectly but yeah i i like that um let's see oh yeah uh so she's got her horcrux and he asked how it's going with her what great grandfather or something yes and she says that the relationship between us is not of an ancestor helping his descendant, but of a man attempting to exert his values on the world from beyond the grave. And I understand why she's annoyed. I get the complaint. But like, if one of us were trapped in a gem and 300 years in the future, the world was all like the handmaiden's tale and full of sexist bullshit, like we would definitely be trying to exert all our values on the world too. You're not just going to stop trying to make the world better because you're stuck in a gem. It's true. And, and if you happened to have been a Nazi that was frozen for 300 years, you would come up and be like, wait, what the hell? And <laughs> you'd try and be pushing your Nazism. Like her grandfather was a um, second empire guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like the Nazis would be just like, how are you letting all these lesser races run around? And I don't know what the second empire person would do. Cause we don't know very much about them yet, but apparently they, they would be less than stuff. helpful when you ask for help and mainly just complain about whatever yell at clouds. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and did we, we got to mention her eyes glow blue and the room gets cold when she uses the Horcrux to talk to her yes. father. So this, I mean, I, I don't want to be the one to call out what's obviously a narrative thing, but that's never good news. No, 
you know? this is this is definitely some kind of bad juju that she's got that that she's using here. What was Hermione's line when talking to Mr. Hatton Cloak? It was like uh, Quirrell says, "Haven't you ever heard that looks can be deceiving?" And she's like, "Oh yeah, but people often forget that they're often not." Yeah. <laughs> so while this, you know, this could just be the lightest, you know, um, holiest magic out there, I'm getting the strong impression that this is dark magic with a capital D. Feels that way to me too. And I don't know why it is that like whenever temperatures dark drop, it's always a dark magic sign, but it totally is. I guess cold like means if, death. Yeah, yeah, that's probably it. Like if the room got more humid or something, I'd be like, <laughs> huh, all right, I guess. Don't know how to read into this. <laughs> yeah. But when it gets cold, you're like, oh, yep, something evil this way comes. That's right. <laughs> um, all right. So she they're, then they're talking about his uh, bonitis and yes uh, okay so um he's they they were talking about what to do uh about his bonitis and she's like she did get something from her grandfather and she's like if i tell you uh and it appears as like what what she thinks they should do if i tell you and it appears as a quest for you then can we agree that we will have a long conversation with the others and not decide on it as a good course of action simply because the game said so um and then he asks, were you planning on not telling me? And I am with Amaryllis on this one. Like, he has demonstrated to that that he has very much a um, a thing with the game layer where if it's a quest, he's going to go do it no matter how stupid it is. And if you're anyone who is not a game layer person, that just looks like an insane person going off on insane whims. And I would like to at least, if even this insane person is the head of the party, like have them slow down a bit and talk with the rest of the party before they decide to do the thing. Like I, I don't think she was going to withhold it from him and he's being sort of a, a presumptive jerk here. Yeah. I think he's still sour for no good reason. I mean, this is probably still like, why didn't you tell me about Arthur? Meh. And I, again, I get Arthur's a sensitive subject for him, but I, I don't think she did anything really wrong by not volunteering that. Oh yeah. I think Uther might be dream skewered. Like, you know, that that was not, I think that was very understandably not a, a fact that she would promote to conscious attention or like that she felt she needed to inform June about this. That was not relevant. And he, I think he's still just being weirdly bitter about that. But also, you know, he has shown some reluctance to finish missions. You know, when it was the, uh, when it was time to face down Larkspur, he was like the only one saying we should nope the fuck out of here. And, That's you know, true. I, I, that said, this quest is going to kill him where he thought maybe he could ignore Larkspur and cut his head off later. So yeah yeah all right then i was thinking um if that locket says if you restore me to life i can help june's soul then i want a cookie for predicting that and uh i also just predict in general that her talking to her ghost granddad in that haunted way is bad news it certainly seems like talking to an ai in the box right i think amaryllis is smart enough to never let it out of the box but you never know yeah, it, it it also she didn't mention that she could let it out. She just said that she could delete him and put herself in. But uh, it so I was guessing that that might have been the quest that she had. But no, it turns out that she's got another idea, which is uh, um, I break Grindelwald out of the prison. Yeah, I was gonna say either completely stupid or like the best chance they have, but those don't aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, so, oh yeah, so she said that it would be suicidally stupid, and that's what triggered the quest, right? Yeah, that was a really interesting point. Like, she, 
explains the the quest first, like that there's this uh, second empire soul mage locked up in a sentient prison, and they could break him out. And she pauses, and like June doesn't react or anything. So she says, "But that would be suicidally stupid to do." And then the quest appears. And like June asks, do you actually believe that it would be suicidally stupid or were you just saying that to help trigger the quest? And like given how smart she is and that she made that pause right before the last part, I I am almost 100% sure that she was, she on purpose said that last part to trigger the quest. I think, I mean, I, I, I we can argue about that if you want, but I think like the real question is like, did the game know she would say that and then delayed giving him the quest until he actually said it? Because I in my opinion, if she was like the game, knows she's the sort of person who's going to push that to try to get the quest and was doing it for dramatic effect. And like, if she was the sort of person who wouldn't add that to prompt the game, I think it would have still given him the quest anyway, even without that last part added the suicidally stupid part. I agree. I, I mean, I know that uh, I'm super confident that she added that last bit to trigger the quest. Um, they, they all saw, they were all in the room when Fen delivered the, the, questy sounding version of penance for my clan for grax and that's what triggered the quest right so apparently the game likes flowery language and good setups and uh it's if she just held out and didn't say it though do you think it still would have given her the quest given june the quest that's what i'm wondering like i don't i don't know because you know the the penance for the clan thing they were already kind of doing and then it didn't give them the actual quest for it until the to the proper setup and so I mean, I guess there, there's there's two ways to look at this. Like, either the characters have to say it in a certain way, um, then that's just like you know the the, the DM being kind of uh, not ridiculous, but uh, funny. It's not the right yeah. word either. Um, well, uh, the, like the DM is kind of trope savvy and wants to play on that. Right. You know, it's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you a quest if you just say, I want to do this thing. But if you say, ah, it is the most important thing for the vengeance of my family. And then it's like, ah, that smells like a quest. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't, I currently, it seems like you can trigger quests for things you're already doing just by asking or by saying it in the right way. So I think that's the case. Like to me, the scarier question is that the characters will say things in a certain way to trigger quests. Not that they, not that if they do a quest happens, but that the characters will say them that way because that takes away their autonomy and we're basically conceding that they're all scripted NPCs. Oh. You know, so like if Amaryllis had paused there and then didn't finish, you know, if if the game made her say the rest or something, but it seemed like she was testing, you know, that's why she paused. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I guess I don't want it to be where the game forces these things to come out of people's mouths. You know, eh, I mean, I don't think that would make them into NPCs anymore that it would make someone into an NPC to say um, Avada Kedavra to cast a spell. Like you have to say the magic words to make it happen, but it doesn't make you an NPC when you decide to say them. Right. No, no. But if but if the game makes them say it uh, by, by make it, I mean, uh, the the game trigger the game wants the quest to happen. So the game makes a character say the right thing. Oh, not, oh yeah, that would be awful. That yeah, that's what I'm saying. So not not that they're. Um, compelled to make the quest happen because they want it to happen from the inside, but they're compelled from the outside to make the quest happen because the DM wants it to happen. You, oh, dude. And what if like they're normal people almost all the time, but then every now and then when the game wants the quest to happen, they get the compulsion. Like they were um, saying at the end of the Council of Arches chapter, 
uh, someone from outside decided uh, that this is the way it has to be done. And so the character is forced to do it. And then afterwards, the person on the inside of the game just kind of thinks that they decided to do that and rationalizes it like the same way you were saying when someone pokes your brain to make you raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that would be pretty horrifying. At least that beats the full NPC thing where, yeah. you know, there's no lights on and they're just they're just really realistic pixel objects, right? Right. I still don't think that's I don't I don't even think that's like possible. I don't think like that that's what's going on here anymore either. I, I I definitely think it's possible. I mean, if this is a simulation, the the game has some insane computing power. Uh, yeah. There's no reason it couldn't make, especially if it's perfectly simulating June's minds to put him in the game. It can simulate made up minds, uh, yeah. and then it can just not have the lights on, and you know, or it can make the whatever the the NPCs, if that's what they were, seem autonomous and real and whatever sentient. Um, yeah. But have them not be that way but uh yeah my my current best guess is that these people seem to be at least sentient enough to matter you know you don't have to have once had a meat suit to have moral value right and i do think that she decided to add that last part like of her own free will because she was like i want to see if it'll happen me too yeah like this is her own little test do i have to say something stupid to get the setup to happen and it turns out that she did um Yeah. yeah anyway yeah, crimes against the soul. Journey to the autonomous prison on Sulid Isle and retrieve the criminal Falhater White Shell from his confinement there. I just called him Grindelwald over and over in my notes. <laughs> it's a good name. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what soul fuckery Grindelwald did, but you know, far away prison, bad guy. It's and I know how to spell Grindelwald, even though it's not an easy word either. <laughs> yeah, and how to pronounce it? That's right. Yeah, Fall. I guess Falhater. Wait, Falater. Yeah, fuck it. I can't pronounce it. Yeah. That's why we're going with the big G. Works for me. All right. And we do find out that people used to be sent there for life, um, and it stopped being used once Anglican began the programming of Final Trial by Adversity, uh, because that that is when they started throwing people into the zombie lands, and uh, if anyone who survived got to join the host instead, which I guess makes makes that particular punishment not as bad in comparison like if my two choices were either be locked up in supermax for life without parole or be thrown into the zombie land and if i survive i get to uh join the host and work my way back into society i I would probably take the second one yeah i mean there's still a big question mark about what join the host means i I I don't like join the french foreign legion Oh, see, like, I know when they said join the host, like, I think host was capitalized. I still didn't know if that meant join the hive mind of, you know, some soldier battalion or if it was, uh, you know, congratulations, you're conscripted. Like, if oh. it's hive mind, fuck that, I'll stay in prison. If it's con- you're conscripted, like, all right, fine, I'll take a military job over life in prison. Um, yeah. It's... Uh, I, I assumed it was the army thing, but since, you know, host is a term for a large group of people, but... You're you're right. I mean, since it is capitalized, it could be like even worse than we think. But then I don't think many people would choose that option either. <laughs> I don't know if they get choices. Well, um, yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't get the impression that they're still sending people to the supermax. Uh, yeah. I think that. Oh, also, and I, I don't think it's a spoiler because you know, if whatever way you came down on host, because we talked about the same stuff way back when the host first came up in the first episode. Um, mm. We were so young. Uh, <laughs> Are elves in this, I think they mentioned, are they immortal or just very long-lived? I think they're just very long-lived. Okay. 
But I don't know how long that is exactly. Yeah, I mean, life in prison when you're going to live to be 30,000 years old is pretty fucked. Uh, If you're only going to live to be 500, you know, when the average human lives to be 100, then fine. You know, that's still messed up. But eternity in prison, you might as well just fucking send them to hell, right? Like, right. I mean, I guess if I had to pick, I would pick the prison didn't seem all that bad, at least not compared to the bottom half of hell's. And also considering the fact that he managed to subvert it. Right. Yeah. Fuck that place. Stupid golems. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so they're wondering about like, well, all right, we need to think about uh, the as far as game planning. You know, what if uh, we I guess. Oh, no, they're talking about um, what was it? Arthur's wives. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so they're talking about uh, narrative in in Arab in Arab again. And the whole, um, the whole Uther's wives thing, she comments, Emeril's comments that it implies omniscience or omnipotence or both. If the black expropriates embedded an agent within the milieu, milieu, yes, milieu parliament for internally coherent reasons, then how can that be a setup for Uther's arrival three years down the line? How can that be a planned romance subplot that naturally results in her death? Uh, cause all the various romance they looked at all seem to like just naturally evolve and work out together and I'm, my personal answer to this is that i think amaryllis may be looking at this wrong like she sees that there's all these um nations and factions working against each other at cross purposes for decades or maybe centuries and it just naturally would make sense for one to try to implant an agent at the other so and then it turns out that she's there when when Uther shows up. Like, you know, in the real world, there's lots of crazy stories about how people meet um, their loved ones. I, I think you actually have one, which is pretty darn cute, too. Um, but it, I think her her problem is looking at it like thinking that time runs chronologically in this way and makes sense. Because, I mean, maybe if this is a, a game or a narrative, time might not really run at all. Because if you're if you're writing a novel and there's there's a romance subplot that the author has decided on and written in, then the rest of the world just is the way it is in order to make that happen. Like the romance is the cause and faction X embedding an agent in parliament. Y is the effect. Um, so the romance like happened first in a narrative sense because it was decided on first and the world was created outward from that fact. But it may look insane if you think that causes should pre- precede effects in in the internal timeline <laughs> of the story rather than in how they were created by the by the author i like that and i think that makes a lot of sense when talking about written stories i mean i i've got a an easier version just cuz my my whole thing is running from video games cuz i that's i spent more time doing that than reading growing up mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know you, you walk into markarth in skyrim the first time and what do you see but a guy from a, a faction that has been historically oppressed trying to stab a rich noble. And actually he kills her unless you basically know it's coming and can paralyze him and kill him. Um, and then that kicks off the whole quest of like what's going on with these people and their gripe. It goes back years. Right. Yeah. But he waits for you to walk into the city for the first time to kill her. Right. And so it was your presence. That was the cause, even though it, people would think that the cause was all the injustices done against their people. If they thought things that had a coherent timeline. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean if things were just if the if the if the the view wasn't rendered until Uther walked there and it was all waiting for him to show up, you know, if people disappear when they're off screen, then mm-hmm. there's there's no mystery there. 
Yeah. I can see how that wouldn't come to her mind first and why even if it did come to June's mind, he didn't bring it up. But yeah, it's... It is kind of scary to think that your world doesn't actually run on on the forward flowing of time, though. That everything radiates outwards from these plot points that are picked out. Like, I, I guess I guess as she's saying, it does imply complete omnipotence in all directions. That's true. And your, and your uh, explanation of, like the cause being the romance and the world coming around it so the romance can happen. I mean, the the author is omniscient and omnipotent there, right? Yeah. They they can make whatever they want to happen. So yeah, it does imply that. She doesn't run to that timeless direction conclusion, but she's halfway there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, the DM sounds uh sounds intense. Mm-hmm. Um he I don't remember if this was June or Amaros that says this, but uh, there's a comment that if there was such a thing as a proper narrative, then we had no idea how to defeat it. And I am going to make a prediction, prediction of my own, which I still think is a valid prediction because the story has not gotten to the end. So um, I'm not cheating. Um, I think that to defeat a narrative, you would first figure out like what sort of narrative you're in and then figure out what would give it a satisfying and final conclusion and then make that thing happen. And I kind of think that's probably what Arthur did in in you know the prequel to this story i mean kind of but that sounds like defeating the dark lord and you know restoring the empire to everything being positive i mean if that didn't do it then it kind of makes you wonder what will like it seemed like it just went on forever yeah i'm just destroying the dark lord and defeating the empire is one narrative arc but he's still alive and so he had to find out and when he kept defeating and defeating things he had to find out what would give the grand overarching arc a satisfying and final conclusion? Like Apparently when someone's writing yet, story yeah. is still running. Exactly. Like how do you wind down the Marvel MCU? If 20 years from now, they decide that they are done telling the story and they don't want to do it anymore, man. I sure hope they don't. Could you imagine if they keep putting out like Avengers quality movies for 20 more years? Uh, yeah, yeah I could awesome. imagine that. That would be awesome. I, I mean, I mean, I, I, it, it's not like I'm asking. You know, can you imagine if they're filming them on Mars? That, that's. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you know, everything else just starts to suck after a while. Yes, it like, does. Literally everything. So if if they kept going and things just got even better and better, man, I'm stoked. That but would be cool. There's a downside of your uh, prediction here, right? Yeah. So I mean, the potential downside is that once the story is over, do you keep being simulated? Because once the video game's over, you're like, what what happens then? Yeah, I mean, when I'm done with the game, I turn it off. When I finish a book, I close it. Uh, I I think that finishing the game doesn't sound like a happily ever after to me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, yeah, you don't really want to finish the game because then the simulation stops and that sounds kind of like dying. But on the other hand, what if like there was a quick simulation of uh, they lived to be 85 and died happily surrounded by oiled, muscled men. <laughs> and um, then they, the person being simulated has that memory of living for 65 years and that happy life. Like, I mean, the, the example I would give is uh, for video games is Bioshock. You play through Bioshock as someone who's in his 20s. And at the very end of the game, you get this cutscene of this old man uh, dying in a hospital. And all the little sisters that you saved are there. Uh, you know, they've gone to college or whatever. And they're happy. And they you have this loving family. And then you pass away. And we don't see the intervening however many decades it's been. But they happened. Like, all the characters that are simulated in that final scene remember them. So, maybe... 
once the game is beaten, it can be a get a quick simulation like that at the end. And and it counts because all those memories are still there. I like that. That is a nice way to to save it. I mean, I I had two. Well, in Bioshock, the, the protagonist is actually like three years old. It, they were well, yes, genetically modified to be, you know, aged ahead. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's only just an extra wrinkle of horror there that I then again, you're right. The little sisters are, are not so little uh, in the in the final cutscene. So he must have been around for a little while, but not, you know, not the 65 years or whatever. But um, it's, you, you know, so you're right. If you do a voiceover at the end that just says and they all lived happily ever after, like, did they? Um, maybe. I, think I really it, think you would need to simulate at least the last final jump. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, how, however, you, whatever step you need to do to take it, you know, it, it certainly seems like there's no reason you couldn't just shove a bunch of memories in their head, you know, yeah. as as it's wrapping up. Um, if the if the final montage narration goes on to describe all these things that happened, well, they might as well have actually happened in the simulation, right? Right. Uh, yeah, Which I mean, that, just that's weird. one way it could end. I, I picture kind of like uh, the end of um, Link's Awakening, which since the game is 20 years old, I don't mind spoiling. Uh, and it takes like two hours to beat. But basically, there's this entity that is dreaming the island into existence. And your goal as you're working your way through it is to f- find a way to wake it up. And when you mm-hmm. do, and even towards the end of the game, all the monsters in the dungeons are saying, please don't wake it up. Don't wake up the wind yeah. fish or we'll all vanish. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the inhabitants don't really seem to care which they, they definitely act like NPCs, whereas some video game characters like act like characters. Um, mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they seem fine with their fate of disappearing. One person doesn't. She's, she doesn't like to say, I don't want to die, but she wants to like do more. And there's a nice, like happy little f- possible happy cutscene at the end. If uh, you manage to get through the game without dying, but that's more what I picture beating. If you beat, Airb to Electric Boogaloo when you're playing as June. Um, I think that, yeah, you turn it off when you're done and everyone just vanishes. There's the other, unless there's some other layer to it, you know, if it's just, if it's just a video game running on electricity, I think that's what happens. Yeah. But I look forward to seeing what happens. Do you, do you think that's kind of a bummer? Oh, totally. Do you think Uh, that's any different than, than like the universe stopping existing once we reach heat death? (laughs) <laughs> uh i mean that's a bigger bummer because everything else goes with that right but it's trying to parse the question properly in my head i mean you know it's great that it happened you know something doesn't become less meaningful because it stopped happening uh yeah. it's uh you know this is i'm gonna go ahead and fend on this one and say i don't want to think about the heat death of the universe <laughs> so okay um, june and i'll both look back towards fen and he asks how much danger do you think she's in and Amarillo says, I have no idea. And oh, wait, actually, before I um, did you have any thoughts on that? Or were you, were you just pitching the question? I don't want to cut you off of your. No, that was that was that was all I had. All right. I'm also not sure how much the simulation at the end counts if it is, wasn't run all the way through. But that is, you know, part of the plot of Permutation City. And it was handled better than there than I can do it in two minutes here. So let's let's move on. <laughs> Valid. Um, yeah, I guess. uh I was gonna, I was gonna read this, and I wasn't, and I was gonna, but I've already started. So, Amarilla says she has no idea, and she laces her fingers together and stretches them behind her head. And mm-hmm. I put this emphasizes the bosom. I think she's mm. trying to woo June, 
Or mm. I'm being the utter creep that Tiff talked about and assume that every stretch is a gesture for male attention. And then I gave the disapproving glare emoji and I said, shit, I suck. Um, well, I, I do not agree that you suck because you are awesome and I like you very much and I will not have you saying shitty things like that about my friend. Well, I appreciate but, that. But I certainly don't think that there was any sort of intention to draw the reader's eye to her bosom because if there was it would have actually described her bosom i think she was just stretching because she needed to stretch and you know ladies need to stretch too sometimes oh totally she's been hunched over her desk for a while i stretch all the time i do wonder um you know she said she's going to try and put out the the flame she'd kindled for him because she had to be as dramatic about it as possible but Mm -hmm. i i wonder if she is jealous you know she she didn't she didn't enjoy the the happy sounds of their lovemaking sessions and yeah. uh, is that because she's a prude like me who doesn't like the squishing noises of sex that you can't get away from, or is like that because she is that because she was jealous? Um, it, now that you mention it, it probably was because she was jealous because she had that's, that thing. That's more likely to you than like just not enjoying the smell of someone else having sex. <laughs> yes, <laughs> one of but, them sounds reasonable. Uh, of course, of course. Yeah, and we both agree on which one sounds reasonable. <laughs> Good. All right. Um, yeah, so I guess they're, they're trying to figure out, like, look, what do we do? Mm. There's this preordained yes. nonsense going on, right? Yeah, that there's... Uh, so, th- yeah, they're trying to get around, like, the narrative because they're like, okay, if we know that this is going to happen, how can we work around it? And June points out that trying to avoid destiny never works out in stories. At best, you can subvert it, but this isn't even destiny because it's not diegetic. Or it is now, now that we've noticed, but I don't know if that counts. And I think it absolutely counts because, you know, this is this is a large part of what the story is about. The Word the Candle is a story about stories and narratives. And so yeah, they're, they're trying to talk about a destiny and uh, subvert it absolutely makes it diegetic to the story. I, I mean, first... it's like, it's oh, what you and me, it's what you and me are talking about right now. So... It's literally a part of the story. The The only difference is that June doesn't know that you and me are talking about it right now. <laughs> yeah. But so he doesn't realize it's a part of the story. They're having the same conversations, right? So um, mm-hmm. my first exposure to the word diegetic was in an episode of Archer when Cheryl. Yeah. Uh, she's you've seen Archer, right? She's she's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. they're on. I mean, they're all kind of crazy, but they're all definitely yeah, kind of crazy. Um, yeah. she, she's her own special brand because she can lean. She can almost hear the fourth wall. So uh, they're on her brother Cecil, who's played by Eugene Merman. Um, and fun fact, I think that Cecil's wife in that episode is voiced by Shoot, who does Louise in Bob's Burgers. Uh, we were just talking about her. She was in the um, What We Do in the Shadows. Doesn't matter. The, oh, oh. the the sibling of Eugene Merman uh, in Bob's Burgers uh, is also his wife in um, Archer, which is not the point. The point is, is that there's ominous music playing at a point and Cheryl stops and she's like, just relax. It's non It's not diegetic. Um, <laughs> and so but but the moment you can hear the music, like, you know, if you're if you're if you're a character in a horror movie mm-hmm. and you can hear the music. Mm-hmm. You you it becomes part of the story because you're like oh shit that's the ghost is coming music right yeah yeah if if, uh, if you're playing a video game and you can hear the boss music starting you're like oh shit what's going you know where's it coming from like <laughs> right you know stuff's about to hit the wind before you see it or are told it in another way so yeah I mean all if, this if you're the character then yeah 
Oh yeah, that's what I mean. So yeah. all of the uh, well, also if you're the player, um, you know, if, now, if you're the player, it's not diegetic because it's only diegetic if the character in the story can hear it. Oh right, yeah. I just meant that I I did the looking around thing. Uh, oh, oh yeah, when yeah, I can yeah. hear it. Yeah, but you're right. It's it's not diegetic in that same way, but uh, or in that way whatsoever. But uh, yeah, and and June's you know got to. I mean, you know, they're having this conversation quickly and stuff. But yeah, man. The fact that you've noticed these trends in this Destiny and stuff, and I've talked about it, um, it's it's out there. It's it's part of the story now, and mm-hmm. there's, I mean, I, and therefore you can try to subvert it. Yeah, I mean, so I guess when he's DMing and his friends break character to talk about the story that June's putting together, mm-hmm. like they, they talk about the um, oh, what do you call that? The planning thing with the elevator, uh. Where like if you talk about a plan, then it's going to work out. And if you don't, oh. it, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if you talk about the, a plan, it doesn't work out. Yes. Um, so they they break character to talk about that, right? And so mm-hmm. he's put in a tight spot of like, okay, well, how do I deal with this? Because they've already acknowledged the trope. Mm-hmm. So you know, it 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 puts the DM in this unique spot of like having to cope with self aware characters. <laughs> yeah, and this this turns out to be a a confusing problem. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, so Amaryllis is like, oh, well, we can try manipulation. If we assume that narrative is desired from us, we could act in more dramatic ways, which she did a science on and worked a minute ago, right? Yes, exactly. And he says, well, we'd be acting. It would know. And she says, you think it's that powerful? And there was something different about her. And it took me a, it took me a while to realize that there was, it was a touch of fear. Hmm. And he says, no, I, I don't know. <laughs> he adds, I don't know, because he's not a good liar. Um, yeah. So the DM is absolutely that powerful. You know, it, yeah. the thing is, is that it waited for her to say the, the quest in the dramatic fashion. But I think it also knew that she was going to say it or I mean, suspected, suspected. Yeah, because if you know the future, you don't get free will. I don't know how the uh, how uh, like what the theological uh, bending over backwards to explain that can be. But granted, free will is a whole thing. But, you know, if if I know what I'm going to do, then I, it's not like I get you know, the, the feeling that I could have done otherwise. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's nice to have that feeling. So I don't know. I mean, we have, we could yeah. act in more dramatic ways and it's like, yeah, we'd, we'd be acting, but you know, she, maybe she's thinking like, but I was acting and it worked, you know, yeah. she, she, when she, when she delivered the, of course it's suicidally stupid to do the thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, so this, this is just like the big question of, you know, it seems to read June's thoughts. Um, so I don't think you can hide anything from the DM. I just assume that works for everyone else. Um, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe the other, maybe the DM only has special access to June's mind. And well, I don't know. I think so when they're talking about this whole manipulation thing, um, she, she also brings up the, the, her character being killed in the last game. And how June could have um, could have changed that. That uh, he'd said the rule zero was that the game master supersedes the rules, and he could have just said that the the Mortling missed. And June points out that that would have been really obvious, and that um, it would be violating the contract between the game master and the players to do that. Uh, that grand gestures matter more than reality, like the reality being the the dice roll or the card flips. And um, I, I think that's like what June is worried about here. Like, it seems that the, the player 
the player and DM contract is kind of like, we're going to work together to tell a cool story and have fun. And if the player starts trying to manipulate the DM in order to get things they want, like their character not dying, then that's breaking the contract. And June really does not want to break that contract at all. I think he thinks that the DM would take that very poorly and would punish them for it, probably because he's done the same thing with his players if they broke that contract when he would have preferred, you know, just like, hey, come on, let's let's play this game. Let's not try to manipulate the DM or whatever. Yeah, I mean, this this just raises the question. You know, I, I the DM of this world may or may not think that way. Like, a, maybe a grand gesture would result in fudged numbers, we don't know if his uh, his prayer to the DM impacted him and Fen's blood type compatibility. I mean, so it's it could be that. I mean, I don't know. It's it's uh, how do you pull one over on God? Like he, yeah. he's aware of everything. He 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 can listen to the team plan. You don't necessarily have to pull one over on God. Like you shouldn't try to pull one over on God. Maybe is is June's thinking here. You should be <sighs> kind of working uh, together. Yeah, 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 like in a, in the in the implicit contract of the game, yeah. and the the solution to their problem might be you know a third option, which is neither. You just you get you you get crazy strong and cut God's stupid head off, right? <laughs> if that's an option, yeah. Again, it's it seems unlikely that the God of Arab is walking on the same ground he's walking on, right? Yeah, I think he's in exactly. another realm of existence entirely so cutting a stupid head off might pose an extra challenge but right <laughs> we'll see um i do think um touching back on the last thing i said that uh a- amaryllis's or or june's and amaryllis's point that like he can't just absolutely say what the cards what th- what the cards showed or what the dice shows doesn't matter because i have decided that uh you you don't die um because then that really that breaks the illusion of the game and if you do that then nothing that happens in the game matters or at least it doesn't matter nearly as much as just manipulating and appeasing god because and that stops being a fun game like when god God becomes the only person who matters in that case so god has to remain hidden and abide by these rules or else it becomes a you know fillet the god game rather than than an actual game where you're playing characters that can do things that don't depend on filleting the god's ego maybe this is why shows that run too long get crappy mm. because the god of the shows is the viewing audience and yes. it's all about like oh well we've got to keep the audience happy and they want more of this but it feels really ham-fisted all right that's how and, you get flanderizings yeah yeah well all right one uh, one last thing before we get to the end, and I guess this this is a stupid comment now since we know what's coming up. But um, the comment uh, with June and Emerilus here at the end was about uh, June not fudging the dice to save Emerilus's character's life, and in order to keep from breaking the illusion of the game. And my question to you was: You think this is foreshadowing of an upcoming death? But yeah, uh, duh. No, that's. I mean, I can put myself if you'd asked me this. You know, say if we didn't read further on. Um, I would have had no idea like that. All of this meta talk that they're having, it, it's, I'm not able to put together because we have to go one meta higher, right? Yeah. Cause, cause we know that Alexander Wales is writing a story about them talking about whether they're in a story or not, what the implications of that are. And so mm. like, I, I, 
I am unable currently, hopefully by reading this book, I can get better at it, but I'm not able to operate at that many layers of meta. And so I would have had no idea. And I honestly, and I didn't see it coming whatsoever. So even, even subconsciously it didn't register at all. I also didn't see it when I was first reading this. Um, I think that's one of the things about foreshadowing is that it's usually kind of subtle. We're like you, it kind of prepares the mood and prepares the the audience's mind for something to come but it's only after the thing happens that you can go back and look and be like oh that was foreshadowing the thing yeah but then you gotta wonder like i think that then you start thinking everything is a clue and uh it's (laughs) and that just goes against the name of the podcast right and in that way lies madness Mm -hmm. you know is is the fact that you know fen is just unable to face reality and won't listen to any any narrative talk is that foreshadowing her inability to cope with uh like or is that gonna is that foreshadowing or or analogous or allegorying her uh unwillingness to fight the dm like directly right because she won't even acknowledge that he exists I, i would be surprised if her hatred of the narrative didn't come back and be meaningful at some point later in the story i think it's just gonna bite her in the ass and it's consistent with her character but yeah you know if if i start thinking like well maybe it means that you know, it, I, I'm not good at predicting foreshadowings at the very least. So, um, at least I don't have to worry about that. I can keep my clues to obvious things like, uh, uh, shit. There weren't a lot of clues in these, in these chapters. Um, there might've been one that I pulled out at some point, but I can't remember what it was. So, um, I was trying to think of a good example of a clue, but I can't yeah, think of we'll a segue. So let's move on to chapter 57. Place your figs. All right. All figs in please. Um, this one, no, no muscling about. They decide off camera to break Grindelwald out of Azkaban, and uh, they just teleport in, like basically right off site. Huh? Grindelwald was in Azkaban. I know, but I, this, I like thinking of Azkaban because oh, okay. this place is on an island, right? Yeah, and it's this dope ass island where, like, the islands themselves are like the hands of a giant, like they look like giant stone fingertips. Yeah, like a, a god is reaching up from the water or something. Yeah, it's an epic visual. And then I think it's something about how it was made, like, shaped so that we could build stuff on it. And, like, did they really just, like, shoot holes in it with void weapons and hit it with, like, hammers? Because that sounds like some serious grunt work, but... Uh, That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Well, they're they're going to break uh, Bellatrix Black out of Azkaban. Okay. I don't know. I, I, I'll stick with Grindelwald because we can't have too many things. But um, what is the name of this prison? Because... Oh, I don't remember. Yeah. All right. We'll stick with, we'll stick with Azkaban then. Um, okay. We could just call it the prison. The prison. All right. Uh, let's see. I mean, th- th- this isn't foreshadowing, but uh, so there's two things. It says that um, this is where they set off camera that they're going to do it. And uh, everyone agreeing that the prison break was going to be our next step, largely because I was in parentheses perceived as deteriorating. And I'm like, first of all, perceived as, dude, how's that floppy hands treating you? <laughs> y- you are yeah. you are falling apart. And mm-hmm. I mean, foreshadowing or just narrative, whatever. I feel like breaking Grindelwald out of prison so he can fuck with June's soul sounds like exactly the, the kind of thing that they'll look back and be like, man, that was stupid. <laughs> it might be the thing that leads to the next quest. Right. <laughs> unfuck the next your conflict soul. point. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I'm really curious about what the, what's going to go down. I I don't know if this counts as a prediction. I am. Uh, I could save this for the end of the episode, but I don't think we will get his bonitis cured or his soul fuckery finished by the end of the next reading. Okay. I think this will drag out a bit longer. Okay. All right. 
And then Grack has a great joke because this guy is a secret level 50 comedian. Um, <laughs> he raises his monocle, looks at the at the building, which did we mention is like a sentient uh, AI, like automated prison? Uh, I mean, it was mentioned in the text, so everyone listening to the podcast knows this. Yeah, except for Scott. Unless they're Read not the reading along, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he might be reading. I'll have to ask him. Um, okay. The... Uh, Anyway, yeah, it's a sentient prison that has some sort of intelligence behind it, but it's been abandoned for centuries and nobody knows what it's been up to or how fucked up it's been, which is just its whole own thing. But um, so that's what this prison is. Grack holds up his monocle and I just imagine him looking very thoughtful for a minute. He says, "Mm, the building is magical. And Mm. (laughs) like Fen laughs. June doesn't find it funny, but then Grack kind of like cracks a grin. So he obviously meant it as a joke, which good for him. That was hilarious. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was hilarious, but good for him. Like the fact that he meant it as a joke was was cool. I I mean, maybe I've got a low bar for hilarious. I think it was funny, and I, I appreciate him making a joke. I I'll put it, it that way. Yeah, I like the moment. It made me chuckle, like literally. So oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. I mean, hilarious might be you know eyes watering, can't breathe, out, you know falling out of your chair, but yeah. uh, it was it was good good humor. Um, all right, yeah. So it's. Uh, I, I don't know, like I said, so the, the AI or AIs maybe running the prison may or may not have an alignment drifts, uh, alignment drifts over the last century. And yeah. uh, the fact that you can build AIs or sentient machines on Arab is epic. Um, mm. It also didn't occur to me because there was think that this is the point where they said, oh, maybe we can get him to like, tell me the thing that it takes to unlock soul magic. Then we can give him the finger and leave. Um, yeah. Like, like, uh amaryllis kind of just gave him hints about how blood magic worked and then he unlocked it right so i hope that's what happens but i don't think that's what's going to happen but you can build ais then again if this is a video game you can build ais that's not a big deal i'm looking left and right for anything that they can use to escape a video game (laughs) (laughs) um but i mean like you you can build an ai in a video game that lets you build ais it's just it's not gonna be it's not a real ai right yeah it's an auto it's an automated building you know that i mean there's ais and games all the time yeah the right the, the thing with the building is that it can't recursively self-improve the way an ai running on a computer in our world possibly could yeah uh, it can't examine its own code because it's running on magic it can't upgrade its own uh, firmware because it's running on a magical prison building <laughs> it's it's very constrained so the things that make ais possibly super powerful in our world don't really apply to a sentient prison but i wonder if you could just make you know if you you could you make you you change up the requisite conditions and then try to make your own recursive ai like i still don't think that if the D, i mean that's again i switch from video game mode to dm mode the dm will just be like no that doesn't work like you try and the computer gets hot and melts like nice right. nice shot you know so yeah all right yeah Killing God is going to be really hard. But again, you know, if Kratos turned to you while you're playing the game, was like, hey, Steven, Steven, can you not turn off the Xbox? Because I really want to keep living. <laughs> just like, just leave it on overnight. Like, he might be able to convince you to not turn off the Xbox. That's true. Uh, I, that would work immediately. And I wouldn't sleep that night. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I, but this DM knows what he's doing. It's all on purpose. This is so weird. All right. This is great. I just wish I could get. 
I, I, I'm only the, my only small comfort is the fact that hopefully you are also mired in the like terrible agony of uncertainty about what's going on, because mm-hmm. at the current part of the story, not everything's been resolved. And no, so, it has not. Well, in that not case, I feel much better than I'm not the only one suffering here. So, <laughs> all right. Yes. Uh, yeah, we got a great prison with giant stone golems, and uh, it looks foreboding as hell. Yeah, and so they kind of want to figure out what's going on. Uh, Solas has some bird friends on her staff, and she kind of thinks about, you know, I says I could send one over the wall to look around, but I don't want to anger the place. And Amaryllis nods and says, do it. Uh, and June notes that she did not put this to a vote, and she had been trying to be more democratic, but her default state was one of command, and it was, for her, a hard habit to break. And I thought this was just, well, first of all, a cool character moment for Amaryllis, but also, like, she's darn good to have around in a tough situation. Like, you don't want to be sitting around and everyone looking at each other and being like, I don't know, what do you think? Should we send the bird? I don't know. Do you want to send the bird? What are the pluses and minuses of sending a bird? Let's vote on sending the bird. Like, just having someone that nods and says, do it, is huge in, in these sorts of things. Like, you want someone like that around in these situations. So, I like Amaryllis. She's gained another point with me. Nice. And she also, I think, earns a point for, like, you know, she is used to commanding the situation a because she's probably good at calling the shots and you know not merely just from like her you know status as princess but i think she's also competent but she's making an effort to like okay i will let the team vote on a bad decision because i'm a good party member and that also Mm -hmm. takes effort on her part so Mm -hmm. Um, so the bird tries to go over the wall and get zapped uh almost immediately and Amaryllis says, hopefully that will be interpreted as a test. And Fen yells, that was a test! <laughs> Which is hilarious. But also, I just like want to point out this whole part of them landing on the island and approaching the prison and like starting to probe its weaknesses. It very much did a great job, for me anyway, of like giving a, across a sense of unknown like there's probably some kind of danger there and we don't know what it is and everything is kind of spooky and we're trying to explore and it's mysterious. It's like boarding in a derelict uh, alien ship or something for the first time. Just the the whole general foreboding of the unknown is I thought was done really well because I don't have any idea what to expect and I'm worried it's going to be bad. Yeah. I mean, everything screams danger, but like it's not broadcasting exactly what kind. And when things do, when things do turn south, it's surprising. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's doing a good job of painting a, uh, uh, like I said, danger zone. He didn't say danger zone, but you implied it. Um, because I'm not super lame or <laughs> totally cool, depending on whether you ask Archer. That's right. Um, maybe that's why I thought of danger zone. Yeah. And we were talking to Archer earlier. Um, mm-hmm. it, I mean, to me, the bird getting zapped was totally predictable and exactly what I would have expected if I'd tried this in the game. But that doesn't make this feel any less uh, foreboding, right? Yeah, I I would assume that the bird would have gotten shot down or stopped in some way, maybe run into a barrier, you know, like smash its head against it and fall down like when birds fly into glass buildings. But like the fact that I don't know what is beyond the walls and how big the threat level is and anything about what's there is is what's triggering the, the whole apprehension on my part. Yeah. Not the fact, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen to the bird. Obviously, the bird was going to meet some sort of <laughs> terrible end. Right. Um, well, you know, what I definitely didn't expect to happen was a voice to call mm. out and hail and well met. And it's a dirt golem with a mouth. And uh, I can't remember. Oh, it has, I guess, no visible eyes or eye sockets. Um, and its uh, mouth seemed to like have or it did have white teeth and a pink tongue and all this. And so that's gross. 
And it yeah. says, what brings you five this way today? Um, so like, I was like, okay, is this a mouth of Sauron situation? You know, is this the sentient prisons avatar that it interacts mm-hmm. people with? Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to pull this out too. Uh, they say like, they want to, they want to meet with a prisoner and the, they didn't, they didn't say who I forget the exact setup, but they were like, okay, well we want to, we want to meet with a prisoner. Um, and uh, it just says straight up. I, I can't, uh, whether Uther is here, I cannot say. And it's yeah. like, well, I didn't even think of that until you mentioned it. Mm-hmm. it it's, it's, it's like telling the cops like, yeah, uh, there are absolutely no gloves in my, or no drugs in my glove box. If you're pulled over for uh, for speeding, <laughs> right? Maybe like it gets a lot of visitors asking if Uther is there. Then you think it would just I tell them know. to fuck off. Yeah. I don't know. I want to find the exact thing that they say to bring that up. Cause so the wording was, um, she, the voice says, have you come to visit or to stay? Which uh, seems like a rather foreboding question when this is a mm-hmm. life or life sentence prison. Um, mm-hmm. Amaryllis says to visit. Uh, I am Amaryllis Paindrag, most direct descendant of Uther Paindrag, princess of the kingdom of Anglican. And that's where she says Uther, she can't say if Uther's here or not. So, okay. you know, so it wasn't like totally out of nowhere. It's, it sounded yeah. like she was saying as my great, great, great granddad here. And the thing's like, that's not my business to answer those questions. All right, fine. I can live with that. Um, hmm. But she says, we're looking for another one. And she says, oh, yeah, that guy, he's here. Um, mm-hmm. So just apparently there's special rules about maybe literally every sentient. Mm, I'm getting too excited about this. It could have been part of like Arthur's capital L lost king status that like every sentient thing can't answer questions about Arthur's whereabouts. <laughs> oh, that'd be really cool. Maybe knowledge of where he is is excluded, whatever the fuck that means. Uh-huh. I, okay. I don't know if, uh, you feel free just to say pass. Do you know hey. at this point, I'm not going to ask you to tell me, but do you know what comprehensively excluding something means or is? Yes. Okay. That's a relief. Cause if I had to, if there's a chance we'll reach the end of this book before it's done being written and I don't want to sit longer than that. Well, I'm still, still sitting here trying to puzzle out what's going on. So, okay. Thank you for that, that peek into the future. Do you want me to leave that in the episode or should I edit it out? Uh, you can leave it in. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, the fact that you know, something isn't, uh, it, that's just, you know, teaser. All right. All right. Then I've got one last joke that I pulled out for this one. Cause it was funny. Cause we got to set some, some light tone before things get, get serious. Uh, Amarillo says, are there any restrictions on visitation? And June reaches over and places a hand over Finn's mouth when he, when he saw she was about to say something because the look I'd seen, the look in her eyes that usually meant she was about to make a joke. She smiled at me and licked my hand, but otherwise seemed content enough to, to have been preempted. Um, so first of all, the hand licking is kind of funny. And if you've ever done that to somebody, um, like to shock them, uh, it's, it's surprisingly unpleasant. Um, mm. And so I'm guessing she's going to make a conjugal visit joke, which was funny. Um, yeah, that would that, be my guess too. That said, Fen, things are kind of serious. I don't know. I know that this is your way of dealing with serious, but I guess she does stop making jokes as soon as somebody literally dies. But, yeah. you know, and then the conjugal visit joke probably wouldn't have gotten them killed. And she does keep oh, it together when they're talking with Grindelwald later. So, okay. You know what? This is a good time for a joke. And uh, I withdraw my objection, Fen. Well done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Talked yourself right out of that one in front of me. I sure did. So uh, a, a 
Dirt Golem comes out and uh, is greeting them and says, hey, I have a message to convey from the guy you want to talk to, but I couldn't I couldn't say it for some reason, so it is written on this thing. And then we get a quick flash to back in Bumblefucked, uh, te- not Texas, um, Kansas. Kansas, yes. Uh, where June says, all right, where is everybody standing? Which just immediately puts a chill down your spine. Those are the words of dread that a player can hear. And as soon as he says that, you know exactly what's about to happen to uh, to our party back in the Ascension prison. Raymer is the... Uh... Um, there's, I mean, they've been playing this. It's obvious, but Raymer, he's, he, so June says, where's everyone standing? And just Raymer's, fuck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's the only reaction you can have when you hear the DM say that. I think I've heard those literal words quite a few times. And that's, that's always what you fear. Well, unless, you know, it, it could have been, you know, oh, luckily I'm still in this advantageous spot or something, right? But you at least know shit's, shit's about to go down. And mm-hmm. uh, I I knew something was fishy the second that said, he could not relate it in a language that I could pass on. So it inscribed it upon this. And it's like, so what? You can't like repeat words he said, but we're supposed to be expected to read some parchment he handed you? Like that's this is obviously a setup or something weird's going on, right? I and, that seems like the rest of the party certainly thought that because they jumped in and before June did to to defend themselves. Yeah. And I that, I mean I just I didn't pull out that note and put it in our notes here, but I did make a note of that when I was reading it. That like, okay, well that's fishy. Um, mm-hmm. so what does happen? The, it wasn't the mouth of Sauron that came out and said that, right? It was the, no. so it was another one. Um, yeah. okay. Yeah. So it comes out and it's like, oh yeah, I got this note from Grindelwald and boom, it's a void bomb. And, yeah. uh, Fen uses a, uh, one of those steel walls from her gloves to block part of the blast, which is badass. Um, mm-hmm. Solace gets blown in half. She, tries to turn her skin to tree bark and presumably that stopped some of the blast and she turns away covering the jar um, or tur- turns her cloak around and clutches it to her chest. Uh, yeah, presumably to her body. Yeah. Cause we know that void goes through X inches of meat and thought that those inches might make the difference. And, uh, and they did the yeah. locust bottle is okay at this point. So like all we see is that, you know, her limp, her legs have been broke, you know, ripped off. But, like, you know, we've seen, we've seen worse. <laughs> so i remember the last time someone's legs were ripped off in a fiction story and it didn't end well there either oh shit i wasn't thinking hermione i was thinking uh fen oh okay yeah yeah that's true she got cut in half yeah fen bounced back from that in a hot second you know i just i figured that this would be like okay well we'll stabilize the bleeding and then solace will grow her legs back like a plant um yeah but solace is the healer so she was out of commission when she was ripped in half right right but june can halt bleeding with his level of healing you know, he, he can, it's probably true. Like if they had the ability to like jump on her and try to stabilize her, maybe they could have stopped her from dying, but instead they had to deal with all these people coming to try to kill them. Right. Oh yeah. That's the thing is he pulled her, he pulls her to safety or well, would have been safety if she wasn't already dead. Thing is, I didn't, I didn't realize or even consider that she was dead. In fact, I made a, I pulled out a note saying this, you know, if this book was about to get serious, this is where she would have died. Um, yeah. Oh, I I put that in here. I said, uh, um, Fen wasn't quite laying down on a grenade for the team, but she was heroic nonetheless. I thought she was just getting in the way to absorb the blast, which would have been, you know, full on Captain America. But, um, you know, saving herself at the same time is, you know, 
no less heroic. It's just, if you have that option, do it. And then I said, and fuck, is Solace okay? I mean, of course she is, since she's needed to get in and out of the jar. But if this was where things were going to take a serious turn, she'd be dying and the jar obliterated. Um, yeah. It turns out that uh, I I was wrong. I th- This is where the story is getting serious, but the jar wasn't obliterated. Yeah. So well, I mean, you were you were half right. You were right on the first half. I mean, she I just cared about the jar enough to sacrifice her own life for it. I guess. I guess. Th- so they before things get all serious and they've got a dead companion. Um, but I like I, you know, I liked all the companions, but I like Solace, I think, more than June did. Um, mm hmm. So before that, they they have what should have been a fun and, and, you know, high five fight where they get to just chop up to get, you know, these aren't even people where they yeah. might feel bad about, you know, uh, making some orphans or whatever. These are just dirt golems. So, oh, I see. Dirt people aren't people to you. That's right. Uh, <laughs> you got to have, uh, I was trying to, I was going to say DNA or something. I don't know. But yeah, dirt people, you know, literal dirt people. Yeah. Forget it. Um <laughs> Anyway, so uh, they heartbreakingly destroyed lots of dirt families and leave uh, many dirt orphans. Um, <laughs> and uh, they, I, anyway, it should have been fun. June's fighting with yeah. basically guts of sword from Berserk. He says it's like this ridiculously large six foot sword. Um, right. Everyone's having what seems like a great time. You know, someone, they took some wounds or whatever. But um, anyway, I thought it would be all high fives and, and uh, whatever. But um, I'm talking a lot. Solace is oh. dead. It's fucked. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I guess there's not not much to say about it. They they harvest her soul and uh, put it in the bottle, and June June starts saying, "You know what? Maybe I can save her. We we still got her body. We got her soul. I the soul doesn't dissipate for three years. I'm sure I can probably find a way." And uh, and he gets he gets as you know he gets kind of bummed the same way you're bummed, except he gets more angry when he's bummed. Yeah, I get the anger. Um, I, I mean, if I was him, I'd totally be angry too, right? Uh, yeah. Again, because this is all just someone fucking with them. You know, they, they make all this happen. So when they bring Solace, or when it comes to his attention that, no, she's dead. She's been dead since you brought her here. Like, you know, which is nice because it's not like she died three seconds ago. If only you hadn't dilly-dallied, you know, killing those golems, if we could have saved her. Like, no, she was killed, like, you know, when she hit the ground. Um, mm-hmm. But he's very Harry James Potter Evans Varus and says a person isn't dead, you know, until they're warm and dead or until their soul is gone. Um, he says, we've got 30 minutes to think of something. And before, wait, does everybody who dies? Oh, but that's before her soul goes to hell. That's right. Um, anyway, I was just, I'm bringing all this up because I was kind of floored with the nonchalance where Amaryllis shoots Solace in the face and Fen just immediately starts harvesting her soul and then her corpse. And I'm like, well, fuck you guys could have talked about it for 10 minutes, you know, like, I mean, maybe they yeah. they both knew it was a forsaken conclusion that there's literally nothing to do, but um, it's it's still uh, um, I don't know I, the expediency with which they went about cleaning this up was kind of just like a uh, surprising for me. I don't I don't know if I'm what why I, think, I felt I think, surprised. I think both Amaryllis and Fen have seen a lot of people die in front of them and are not as fucked up by it as June is. And and they know, you know, when someone dies, the thing you do right away is harvest their soul so that they never go to hell. Yeah, this is just what friends do when they die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a bummer. Yep. And yeah, June, June is also not quite willing to accept it, but they are in the middle of hostile territory and they don't have time to dilly-dally right now. Yeah. 
I mean, I, it would have been nice if they, you know, at least asked, like, maybe there's a revision mage in there that we can break out on the condition that he rewinds time, but... Um, well, if there is, the only way they're going to find out is by going inside and breaking them out. Yeah, but we still, I think, I, I think we're onto something that once a soul is sucked out of the body, I don't know if you can suck it back into the body with soul magic or with a uh, revision magic. Yeah. I, I suspect souls are magic. Uh, but and also, I, I think specifically the uh, the jar and spike thing is magic, so you couldn't revise past that. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Well, yeah. Anyway, um, uh where am I trying to find my next thing? Um, yeah, I guess their plan is like, all right, let's regroup and keep moving forward. They kind of talk about like strategies of what should we do. Um, but they're basic. They basically just settle on. All right, let's. Uh, um, oh, sorry. Last thing. Uh, right. The game officially declares Solace dead through a quest update. Yes. Um, and we talked about, you know, June's pissed and Grax says she was a good woman. And it's all very sad. Like it's it's drag. You know, June thinks along the lines of like, now I'll never get to, you know, learn more about her and develop a friendship with her. And it's like, neither will we because she's fucking dead and that's fucking terrible. So, yeah, yeah, it's a nightmare. But, uh, all right. So, two things on his list to do when he ascends to godhood. One, kick death in the dick and hopefully restore everybody. Um, Because I I think all the souls in the jar are like indistinguishable, right? I think so. But maybe with soul magic, you could find a way to sort them. Maybe. Or, you know, worst case scenario, just save everybody in the jar. Yeah, that's a much better idea. I mean, if, if that's what it takes. I think, oh no, they put uh, Amon in the generator back at uh, V Condoms. So uh, there's no there's oh, yeah. no worry of resurrecting him and having him be pissed and trying to kill him. But uh, yeah, I wonder. And even if they did, they probably put him in a you know, body that doesn't have gold flying next to it. Yeah. You know, at the end of this, because I guess, ask me at the end if okay. uh, I think Solace will be savable. Because okay. Amaryllis kind of sets that up, but I I need to noodle it for a few minutes. Um, all right, all right. Sorry, I will. I yeah, your turn. Okay, <laughs> all righty. Well, the um the next thing that I have pulled is that uh they they briefly consider whether they should leave the island and re-strategize, go over things. Um, and it's uh Amaryllis, I believe it's Amaryllis that either brings it up or leads the discussion but Fen points out that a careful observer would have known that Amaryllis intended us to stay if she hadn't then she'd have had the key out from the moment she came over here and I don't think Fen's right about that because I mean it's a single use tattoo and I don't think Amy would just blow the tattoo before checking with the others yeah I agree I don't know I think Fen maybe Fen is also intimidated by Amaryllis and there's some love triangle business going on um because she's trying to basically throw shade at her and be like oh look she's already made up her mind and it's like no she's just not using yeah like you said it 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 doesn't take five minutes to get the telepad out it takes two seconds and i can do it after you guys all say y'all want to go great here i go but if i do it first then it's like well june can you make me a new tattoo you know otherwise this this two billion dollar artifact has to sit in my pocket where it might get hit you know Mm-hmm. Like, it's just the responsible thing, leaving it in the tattoo. Yeah. All right. Um, there was a great line and just interaction here with Grack. Um, he says, we don't know whether the prison was tricked or subverted. And Fen says, does it matter? Hostile is as hostile does. That was my rule last time I was in prison. <laughs> she was like, I served my nickel. Um, <laughs> the, uh, oh, that was John Mulaney bit. I was like, where did I hear that phrase? Served my nickel. Yeah. My five years. I don't think she's in prison that long, but, um, he says it's still oper- if it still operates according to a set of rules, you might be able to use those rules. 
And if there are rules, we'll face different threats than if someone has taken over the entire system. And he's, I think he makes a good point and he's right. You know, it, yeah. Uh, it doesn't really matter other than like, you know, we have to go forward and, and look for traps. But mm-hmm. I, the idea of like, well, look, it's going to try and kill us. It's like, yeah, but is it going to try and kill us wantonly or is it going like, is there some rule for it? So mm-hmm. that's all I had to yeah. pull out for that. Yep. I, I think, I think that's, yeah, Greg is smart in this case or in all, in all cases, but you know, yeah, he makes a good point. Um, he, so they're about to go into the prison and June says we're going to need to be on the lookout for traps, not just for magical ones, but mechanical ones too. And we know that it's crawling with these dirt golem mooks and that there is a, a Grindelwald at the end that uh, they're going to try to have to bust out. And like, I was just kind of excited when we got to this point because they're, they're basically literally having a dungeon crawl at this point. They're going into an enclosed environment with traps and monsters and they don't know exactly what's in there and they're exploring it. They might as well just bust out the graph paper, honestly, as long as they're here so they can <laughs> map it as they go. And I was, despite Solus being dead, I, I personally was like, they, she might, she might be, she might be salvageable. So I was bummed, but I was excited about having a dungeon crawl. And also the fact that like Solace was killed at the beginning First of all, it makes it makes it clear that the DM is not going to fudge the dice too much. Uh, certainly, Solace was killed, so uh, this actually is dangerous, and um, it also takes away like their biggest healer slash cannon, their biggest asset to maybe blow through this dungeon. It's going to be significantly harder without her there. So, yeah, here's here's the thing they're about to go into. Yeah, the Panopticon. Uh, yes which is 58 yeah i mean half the fun for me like you know this feels about as questy a quest as harry felt when he was breaking bellatrix back black out of azkaban right um you know he Mm, he he amps that up in his head is like look a real quest that we're we're piercing a dungeon to save a damsel in distress granted his his was a bit uh you know rosy or like a more rose-colored um mission but uh this this feels as this feels like the most questy thing that they've done right like you said, the dungeon crawl like just has the oh, this is the iconic, you know. Yeah. Um, the what what everyone thinks of the most of when they play tabletop role playing games or games modeled on them. Exactly. Oh, then maybe they need to find some loot before they leave this dungeon. Ooh. I mean, the loot point. can't just be one cannibal elf and his twenty clones. So uh, maybe. Then again, they've got bones that are full of valuable loot. So. Yeah. Um, anyway, saying he should you're saying the bones of all his friends are are the loot uh i if there's nothing else then yeah i mean you make do with what you got you sound, you sound a lot like um finn when she was like so we can just steal this uh this uh the taxes instead of returning them to the town <laughs> except for these guys are bad guys well yeah i guess and i mean 20 of ended them, up in prison yeah and, and 20 of them aren't even like the people they were before they're soul manipulated not exact clones because there's a rule against that um but but there's but they're still sort of it it would still be sort of like ruthless and cold-blooded to just harvest them for their bones because you didn't get any other loot yeah they did kill your friend though that's that's a good point that yeah. might be enough to yeah so i'm not, I'm not saying like them. you know my decision was whether or not to harvest their bones would change if there was a box of gold in the prison waiting for them too but mm. you know you, you got to get something out of it but yeah. Oh, okay. All right. They they come across some uh, some suits of armor, and yes, 
I want to hear your thoughts on this. <laughs> I mean, this is a classic dungeon trap. Like the very first time you you play one of these games, maybe you don't get it because you're seven years old and you think, oh, neat, suits of armor. But like, it, it is absolutely the most blindingly obvious dungeon trap to just have the four suits of armor around the room like that. And June knows it. He says they're going to attack us. And uh, Grax says, uh, he says, June says, if you accept that this world reflects the tabletop games that I spent my life playing, and Grax interrupts him saying, I don't. They aren't magical. And uh, they, you know, he looks through the uh, monocle. They're not magical. They're obviously just suits of armor. Fen shoots through one. There's nothing inside it. And, like, everyone is like, you're nuts, dude. This isn't a trap. And he's like, oh, my God, you guys. This is a fucking trap. They might as well have set some health pack and ammo just outside this room. So we <laughs> there was something bad coming up. You know? Like, I don't know. Who's, whose side do you think? Uh, the, whose side are you on in this? Um, I mean... I don't want to like necessarily take sides. I also noticed I got some of my notes out of order. The uh, the line about the rules of the prison was in this chapter, not the last one. But oh well. Um, so I got to think that uh, they they did do the sensible thing, which was test June's hypothesis by shooting the so- by shooting the suits of armor. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, like I I'm with June. I wasn't like because it has to. It did lower my probability that they're animated just a little, but. You know, because it could also just be there to subvert the trope and, and, you know, psych June out. So you never know if the when the game is going to just try to fuck with him for the sake of fucking with him. But yeah, uh, it's true. There, there was another but interesting. Have, I'm sorry, go ahead. But it wouldn't have hurt anything just to destroy them from a distance. Right. It, it, you Aside know, from the time, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Fen's got something like 2000 arrows, just, you know, put 30 in each one. And then, mm. you know, if they are just if they suddenly become animated suits of armor, then the holes don't you know, slow them down or something. Well, at least you tried, but just, you know, dinging one suit and be like, Oh yep, we're good. Uh, it was a test, but not the best test they could have done. Um, there was one line about that, that I liked was, uh, June said that, um, if you accept that this world reflects tabletop games that I spent my life playing and Grack just says, I don't. So he, he doesn't accept the, the narrative, structure not you know uh meta stuff that amarillo seems to be fully sold on yep yeah he that i mean i didn't realize that either until he said this but yeah apparently he's not fully on board with that and just just kind of humoring them but still realizes that june is super powerful and kind of a cool dude and has a whole lot of pounds of magic or yeah. a lot of pounds of gold on him pounds of gold yeah and i mean he is helping amarillo's with the research so he, he believes it enough to you know not believe he's wasting Dude. his time, but I guess he's being, he's on the clock. So, you know, he'll do what he's told. Uh, maybe that, maybe that's how he's thinking about it. Um, everyone else, they're, but, they're, they're in it for the, you know, they're not, they're not doing it for the money. Yeah. But after this particular exchange where they do get jumped by the suits of magical armor afterwards and they have to beat them down and uh, take some damage doing it. I'm assuming Greg has updated his priors to uh, be closer towards the, this is a game that uh, is based on June's role-playing games back home since Greg was smart like that. Yeah, I mean, Gre- or June proved that there was something uh, special about him by knowing Greg's backstory when mm-hmm. they first met, and or rather when his loyalty got to two. And he took that in stride. He's like, okay, you're magic. Like, capital M magic. Got it. I, I'm, I've seen the evidence. I believe it now. And he correctly predicted that there's that these things that no way they can move because they're not magical. Um, he's like, dude, they're going to do it. And he's like, ah, you know... Um, I don't think so, but yeah, you're right. Uh, that, and the fact that he keeps deferring to June later on, 
um, you know, looks safe. And then he's like, what do you think, June? Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's because he feels terribly guilty or if that's because he's just like now crazy uncertain of his whole life. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Those things clearly were not magical and yet. Yeah. Uh, I, I like this um, crack at the end because June, you know, once they kill the things, you know, they, it works out fine. It was a fun, it was a hard fight, but whatever. Um, uh, June's June goes off on a tear. He screams at him. He's like, you know, you should have fucking oh, yeah. listened. You know, th- this whole, this whole fucking thing could have been, you know, solved if you just listened. And, um, Grack just says, I should have listened. I apologize. Um, uh, yeah. and yeah, June still pissed. He's like, we could have dealt with this whole fucking mess without risk. And he, you know, it's, so I get June's pissed. I think he's still, I think he's still channeling the anger from solace being killed. And the fact that he could have lost other friends in this because he, he didn't uh, push back hard enough. Right. Yeah. Uh, he's like, I knew that they were going to come alive, but I, I let them convince me that they wouldn't. And so he's blaming himself for this too. But also that was big of Grack. You know, he, he didn't reiterate his extremely reasonable conclusion that like, look, they appear to be non-magical. I made the best judgment that I had available. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. And, uh, as as he's being an ass, uh, Fen says you're being an ass, and she says that he isn't going to say it because he's wrong, and Mary's not going to say it because she keeps calling her Mary instead of Amy or Amaryllis, because she doesn't want another fight with you, which means that it falls to me to tell you that you're being an ass, and I love you, but you're being an ass, and I am glad she did that because no one else was going to, like she said, and I feel like someone needed to, and she felt the same way, and she did it, so that's awesome. Good on her. Yeah. You also notice that I think that's the first time they've used the L word. I did not notice that. That's it's probably true though. It just seemed like such a natural place to say it that it must have flown over my head that it was their first time. And and they're 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 basically kids. So this is an extra dramatic moment in a relationship. I, I'm sorry. They're they're basically prepubescent children. I put that in there to uh to fire <laughs> to me annoy ash. me. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, Jerk. They, they are they are new to romance, and even even that you know if you're not new to romance. Um, you know, saying that you love somebody is a vulnerability thing. It's uh, actually, it's rather surprising. I think she let this slip, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, she's not that's one to happen to me once. Yeah. <laughs> uh, were you on the receiving I, or giving end of that? Giving. And you just, your, your heart drops when you accidentally let that slip. You're like, Oh fuck. I didn't mean to say that. <sighs> Anyways. I hope um, it worked out. Oh yeah, it did work out. We got married, but you know, then a oh. few years later we got divorced. So it, ended up unworking out well it, it it could have you know at least it wasn't a total embarrassment in the moment so um, all right yeah anyway yeah um, but uh, I, I, yeah i mean you said that this is extra dramatic because they're young i don't know i think i think it gets harder to say as you get older because you realize like it means more when you're young you're still like full of idealism and hope and like just the feelings of of the other person make you feel like oh yes i'm in love yeah and you don't realize all the other bullshit that comes with it if you say it out loud so i think people who are you know 17 would be more likely to to drop it than than if they were older yeah i was i was working my way back from that and and i think you put the you hit the nail on the head i I think I was wrong in that initial assessment. I mean, a, you know, a teenager doesn't know the difference between an erection and love, right? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it's it's when you're when you're an adult that like, all right, I, I know this word carries a lot of baggage, or not baggage, weight. You know, this is a this is a heavy thing to to drop. So, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, L word. Um, yep. 
And, I, and he also points out, because I thought I just thought of this, but he, he says the same thing. He's like, look, every suit of armor is going to move. You don't leave shit lying around. Uh, you, the same thing with corpses. You put a hole in their head as you go by so they don't rise up as zombies. And uh, like, yeah, yeah, he's, that's right. If you play video games, especially games where anything has ever gotten up off the ground ever, you hit every corpse <laughs> yeah. you walk into a room just in case. Yeah. Yeah. And he does point out that uh, this... Uh, they, they they theorize that there must be multiple factions within this dungeon uh, fighting with each other as well as uh, with the, the June's party. And he points out that um, if you just, when you're doing a dungeon crawl, you, you can't have all the monsters in the dungeon rush the heroes at once because then they would be crushed or else they are so powerful that they could defeat them. And then, you know, the dungeon crawl is over. It has to be kind of spaced out a bunch of uh, encounters that are all level appropriate, but if you just have each room as its own encounter, then people would wonder, well, why didn't they hear the fighting? Why, when responding with overwhelming force seems like a winning strategy, would they not do that? And instead be like the SNL ninjas that uh, attack the dude one at a time instead of all at once. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he says there's plenty of answers to that, but there did have to be answers unless you wanted to be the kind of coward who just threw up your hands and said it was just a game. And, you know, I, I thought that was really cool because what the candle is RPG deconstruction and it's great. And that's what he's doing right now, right here. So that was cool. Yeah, it's uh, in, in, in games. I mean, a lot of games I play enemies within reasonable hearing distance can hear you. Mm-hmm. And so games have gotten better about that. I don't play a lot of dungeon crawlers. Um, and to the, to the extent that I play anything like dungeon crawlers, you know, the closest thing would be like Metroidvania games. You know, those aren't. The enemies aren't characters that are supposed to have any minds, right? They just run around doing things. You know, okay. They walk, they pace back and forth through the room, just nonstop forever. Like the, yeah. so, it, that one you you, you literally you're, you're not even have to explain it. It's like that's a game. Like it's waiting for you to walk through the door. Um, I June had this moment. I forget he had this thought. Well, I don't know. Well, back in the story, I can't remember exactly what the context was, but he's he says he's going to try and be vigilant for moments where the game frayed near the edges and showed itself to be a game, not a real world. And he didn't call this moment as, as a clue, capitals clue, but I think it is. Uh, the fact that these, these uh, centurions, whatever, didn't run out and help the, help them when the golems are fighting them. Nothing else in the prison runs into the hallway to get them while they're being bullied or being bullied, being uh, engaged by the, by the suits of armor. Like th- this, that that is what would happen, and there's no good explanation given, right? Well, there is with the several factions in the prison working across purposes, kind of thing. Yeah, I that isn't that is an explanation. I don't know if I buy that. Okay, I mean, if the prison was that bifurcated where it couldn't cooperate on how to keep how to keep uh, um, bad actors out of the prison, like mm-hmm. it would have failed in its job of being a prison. If, if anyone I, could just walk in here, granted, they'd have to beat these things, but they have to beat them one room at a time. That just, you know, I, I, I mean, I think it is kind of failing at its job of being a prison, seeing as we already have hostile intruders penetrating it. And this, then the prisoners get bombs. Yeah. 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 So, something, something is afoot in this prison. So it could be that, that, that does. Uh, yeah. June had said that, you know, there were things that I, I can't remember exactly again, the context where he's talking about keeping his eyes open for the game fraying near the edges. But he had said that there had you been, think this is one of them. Well, he had, he had said that there, there had been times where it seemed like it, but there were explanations mm-hmm. and he needed to keep his eyes open for where there was no explanation. You know, the, the prison having 
many minds controlling it and they're not they're, they're, they don't seem to be at cross purposes you know they are stop the invaders but they're they're not all coordinated that 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 could explain it but this this does feel i mean this feels too video gamey then he's even thinking like uh you know hey um if it was me dming this i would like throw in a social encounter or something something and yeah. then what do they get next a social encounter mm-hmm. you know th- this this doesn't just uh res- you know this this isn't just them breaking somebody out of a prison this is this is a dungeon crawl right yeah. and and he's yes. he seems to be recognizing that but not calling it out it's like wait this is fucking weird right i guess i mean i don't think there's any dungeon crawl where in the first room the dungeon realizes it can't beat you and so it sends someone out to basically surrender and try to negotiate terms <laughs> <laughs> i mean valid but there also aren't dungeon crawls where the characters get to have like thoughts the dm can hear about the nature of like the reality of this and, and breaking immersion <laughs> and the game's like yeah. okay yep he's noticed the immersion thing fuck it we're going to plan b <laughs> it's a good so, point too it's you never know what level any of this is happening at again so in hindsight this will make a great book to reread because mm-hmm. i will know exactly the level that the dm is working at that you know um alexander's working at but right now why did they get a social encounter here uh again there there's an there's an explanation so it's not like the game just saying fuck you it's a game it's saying mm-hmm. oh we we realized we weren't gonna win so uh we wish to parlay yeah, um, yeah. But it is, like you said, it's it's hitting the beats of of varying the types of encounters. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Speaking of that particular um, encounter, they do decide that they're going to follow the mouth golem and uh, you know keep talking with it, negotiating, take the peace offering at face value. Like I don't know if I would have done that. I think I would have just executed the thing right there and kept crawling the dungeon because I would not trust these fuckers after what had happened earlier. Yeah, I'm surprised they just followed it deeper into the prison. Um, I, I I did like Amaryllis's kind of quick response of we are we would be willing to talk because at least then you're, you know you're not saying fuck you bring your army you at least maybe get the element of surprise. But yeah, they they just follow it into the prison where for all they know thousands of these mud zombies are just blocking the corridors behind them. Right? Yeah. So maybe they're fucked. That's, maybe they'll need the soul mages help to get out. That. That would be interesting. It would. I don't know, you know, unless these golems have souls for him to manipulate. Uh, well, they cl- he clearly can manipulate them. He's got, yeah, that's true. And he's got the 20 other people that he's manipulating. Like, he's got a little private army. That's true. Sort of. I mean. Like, we don't know how loyal they are, but they're certainly somewhat loyal. And they want they all want to get out of the prison, so. Yep. Um, yep. That said, I don't know if you could punch these, these golems down to death. You do need to cut them, but... Maybe the elves can hit hard. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, I'm with you. Yes. It, it, I would be sus. I I think I would uh, I would do the thing where like in a in a video game where you get to choose your dialogue options. I'd be like, of course, of course, let's let's talk. And then they'd be like, great, follow me to my office. Then I'd shoot them in the back, right? Yeah. But anyway, that's not what they do. They follow it deep into the prison, which is surprisingly pretty on the inside. Yeah. Uh, so chapter 59 is all the myriad ways and uh that this is the part where as you said like grack stopped to check uh the hallways and would always like defer to june before he gave the all clear and like i like june says he feels guilty about that and i do too like it kind of feels like you took the job of 
the person like if there was a thief player character in the in the party and it's their job to like find the traps and unlock the doors and everything but before everyone they like check with the the warrior or or the cleric first to be like did i do it right it'd be like dude i'm sorry i didn't mean to just take your role and make it subservient to my own stuff like that that kind of sucks and now it's like kind of happened in real life yeah grax I think image of his uh, ability to contribute to the team has, has fallen, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and not to any fault of his own. It's not because he's not a great ward breaker or whatever it's because, or warder it's because mm. the game pulled a, a an alley-oop on him. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, it wasn't his fault. So he's basically asking like, look, any game shenanigans in this hallway? Cause it looks clear to me. Um, you know, it's what is pulled an alley-oop. Uh, I, I guess I, I, combined two phrases that's why it's not a thing i think right. alley-oop is a basketball term i think where is it one person sets up another person right i think so and then you you i think it is just like get around them to the bat to the to the net um but i meant i i i stammered and meant to say pulled one over on him and then alley-ooped him ah, so okay. yeah okay okay got it it is it is a phrase that i just made up because i can't talk excellent yeah you are like shakespeare now <laughs> verily yes so okay so they sit down with Grindelwald yes and he begins talking and as soon as he says the first word June screams fucking jumps half out of his chair because he has these long sharp piranha teeth that just freak him the fuck out and I had to pull that out because I had been waiting for something like this happen ever since Fen said I'm half elf and pointed at her teeth and June was like uh okay and I was like, oh, oh, he he doesn't know why that's significant. We are going to have a cool-ass scene at some point in the book. And then it came here, and I was so happy about it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I thought he overreacted. I mean, my, my exact thoughts were, I was like, dude, we knew they had people eating teeth. Chillax. Well, I mean, we did because we talked through it. But I don't, like, humans have been known to eat other humans, and we have regular human teeth. Didn't like, he? There, there's... He knew that there was something about her teeth. Um, Not Really? Like when he first met her, he said, I see you're an elf. And she pointed at her teeth and said half elf. And like, he was like, uh, okay. And he just like went with it. He didn't think about it to be like, what, why does that, why does that mean she's a half elf that she points at her teeth? You know? No, there was, there was at least something else. I think it was in her character description in her bio. It said that her, her teeth marker is a half elf or something so that she can't be accepted. Oh, maybe. I feel like there's a second beat on the teeth. Maybe there's not. And you and I just, you know, realize like of course they're gonna have scary looking teeth but i can't remember if it was in the text or not but yeah fair enough he does freak out and uh um it's that said even if you know it's coming it's gotta be it doesn't it doesn't even say pointy it's as sharp like a piranha and it says instantly awoke a basal fear in me it's like oh you know what like that's that's an uncontrolled reaction you know it's not like he got a chance to process that was that was his that was him processing the scary monster in front of him um, yeah and then he just sits down he's like continue right i don't remember the exact words but yeah it was it was that kind of thing yeah he coughs <clears throat> you you were saying um yeah so, <laughs> uh, uh so they they try to they prod the guy trying to get them get him to tell them something about soul magic to activate you know activate it for june like uh he did with blood magic and he's he's really kind of reluctant to. He's not he's not activating. He's not saying the things for them. He's like, it, it wouldn't really matter at all. 
if I told you how how to how to do the soul magic thing, like you need years of study. And anyway, Anarillo says you understand that trust is an issue. That's why we want to get the basics, the bare facts first. And so he narrows his eyes and looks between the forms. Says it is a test. But knowing that it's a test makes it pointless because you know that I know enough to pass. And if I know it is a test, I can fake cooperation, which you know. And so he doesn't answer again because he's just pointing out that, like, this is a test, but he knows it's a test, so it's not a good test now. And uh, Amaryllis says, indulge us. And it says, the elf stared at her, then blinked once. It's not a test, he said, looking between us again. And I'm like, this dude is fucking smart. Like, I don't think I would have updated updated on her insistence that he he say something that in fact it isn't a test and they actually do need the information but all it took was her saying indulge us and he put that together and that was pretty pretty slick in my opinion i agree the the slytherin is very strong in both of them and i i never would have made that connection like i would have just thought okay yeah they're this is still a test they're just i, I would have been like what is she playing at but i guess i'd better cooperate or something right like mm-hmm. I, but I wouldn't have been like, ah, okay, this isn't a test. You know, something's going, you know, I, he caught on real fast. These are some, yeah. uh, you know, again, being cunning isn't, uh, a sufficient condition for being a dark Lord, but, or hmm. being, being capital helps. E evil, but yes, it is a, uh, necessary, is a necessary condition of being a good evil baddie. And, yeah. uh, so it's evidence <laughs> that combined with the fact that he's in prison, um, presumably some of these people deserve to be here and, and he has scary evil teeth the teeth i won't hold against him that's that's genetic <laughs> but uh oh, okay you know it the the rest of it is uh and also i think that being a soul mage was kind of frowned upon for the moral implications of it so the fact that at this point they believe him to be uh grindelwald uh would would suggest like okay yeah this is a bad guy right mm-hmm. um oh so he's like, all right, well, I'll help, uh, you know, maybe, of course, we're talking with plausible deniability because I'm sure the prison can hear us. But um, how many people hypothetically, uh, you know, could could you help out? And um, this was just a fun little beat that they get their their oxygen tanks from the uh, um, the clonal what, kit. Clonal kit. Thank you. I keep calling to call it starter kit. Um, and so apparently they, they in a pinch, they can probably put what was it? Uh 300 people two in the glove or, yeah two or 300 he says yeah so that's pretty cool uh yeah i i wanted to you know i gave fen a high five when she had 2,000 arrows for paranoia like you never know you might have to subtly transport a small village or an army of people <laughs> right could you imagine just like this this would be like the ultimate trojan horse you, know, you come in <laughs> with your hands up and then boom out pops a phalanx of thousands of soldiers or hundreds of soldiers mm-hmm. Be like that scene at the end of Avengers Endgame where everyone just shows up. That's right. And you've got a uh, literal 300 of uh, well-oiled muscular Spartans there to, to <laughs> Perfect. fight. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't know if... I wonder if she does this... Uh, all right. So Amy a- Amaryllis consults briefly with her Horcrux and uh, two beats to hit there. One, she says, Miss Red, may I have my amulet, please? And... Fen just gives it to her, which is nice. She doesn't, you know, have some stupid joke or something to ruin the uh, appearances. Um, mm-hmm. I also like the code names, so I went ahead and gave the rest of them code names: Miss Miss Pink, Mister Black, and Mister Gold. Um, Mister Black, I'm assuming being June, and Mister Gold being Grack because he mines gold. I chose those, and I didn't know which ones I preferred for which. Okay, but uh, yeah, that that is the way I settled on it too. But 
I when I was writing them down, I I just made them up as I was going along. Um, nice. So the other thing with that is I don't know what the hell she needs to ask. Um, um wait, is it right after she says that, uh, or she talks to her Horcrux that she's like, oh, you're not really the guy. Yes. Oh, okay. So she does get something useful. I thought she was just flexing, be like, watch this, dude. And, no. uh, you know, grab, grabs this, this amulet, has her eyes glow blue, like a, like a, now the zombie's eyes glow red, but you know what I mean? Like the avatar. Yeah. She, 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 and then the temperature drops noticeably. Like, okay, she's up to some shit. I thought she was just flexing, but no, she was asking, uh, um, about this. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's when the elf says, yeah, I'm not Val, uh, I'm not Grindelwald. Never said I was. And- it's like, fuck you. Yeah. You implied it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. He took my soul and reformed it in his own image, which like, wow, that was fucking cool. And they're all mind clones of him. Like, that's neat, man. Also sp- spooky. He's he's a, a bigger bad guy than we thought. And it seems like he's really subverted this prison if he's gone around and made the other prisoners clones of him under the prison's nose so that it doesn't even know where he is yeah he like valda harried everyone in the prison yes what it was there a word for i feel like there was a shorthand that at least the community was using for whatever voldemort did to harry uh maybe there wasn't i don't i don't Uh. think there was a term i I remembered i think he loaded a backup of himself he loaded a backup of him of himself onto all these prisoners and kind of had it overwrite them but i guess not not fully because uh, the guy says we are not slaves he might agree to be taken alone but the rest of us would not let him go so easily we are like him enough so that our prison can confuse us but we are not clones nor automatons nor perfectly loyal and so i guess i guess i was wrong about the mind clones thing but like what the heck did he do exactly harry there wasn't like, a perfect clone of uh, uh voldemort either that's a good point yeah yeah i guess the the harry the harry voldemort thing is probably the best analogy yeah it's uh i mean it's just funny because so you, you pulled this out um if he can rewrite a soul and then he can't said amaryllis or he can't not fully that's excluded and i'm just yeah. like oh you're not allowed to do that it's against the rules <laughs> so he so he didn't do that because you're not allowed to like right. i need i need, a, I need an explanation of exclusion rules <laughs> yes it's like, hold on, that's illegal. Like, does the universe just <laughs> like get in your way? I'm like, hold on, sorry, no, you can't do that anymore. Yep, yep, it's not allowed in these parts. Move along. That's right. If you want to rewrite a soul fully, you'll have to do it behind the uh, free speech zone. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, nukes don't work on this side of the line; they work on that side of the line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder. So, anyway, like, at the end, at the edges of uh, Doris Finch's thousand miles or whatever, is it like a wall? That like they just would squish up against it into if they tried to run into it. I mean, all, all at the edge of of uh, Felseed's kingdom. You know, if he goes to the tip of it, c- can he just poke it with his finger and find? Is that literally what this is? Is invisible walls? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Have I gone on my ten minute rant or not rant? My ten minute like uh, hobby horse of the awesome ways that video games stop players from going to places they're not supposed to go. I don't think you have. No, I. I mean, we're, we're running through this pretty fast, so I might indulge myself. Um, sure. I'll give my like top three like quick examples. One and first and most obvious is invisible walls, right? Those like, are the annoying, annoying ones because you're like, God damn it. I can see the thing right there. Exactly. They break immersion and it's like it's 
it's not, it's not, I mean, it's not just lazy, you know, you do run out of time and sometimes it's like, mm -hmm. look, it, it would be really hard to figure out how you got up this far and whatever, but yeah, invisible walls are, are the like easiest and cheapest way to do it. Um, my, my favorite way is just to put, uh, really high level stuff in the way. Um, if, if you want to make it, uh, believable, you just make it like basically impossible to, to go to a place, but not literally impossible. You know, you're level one, the monsters you encounter if you go left are level 30 and the monsters you, if you encounter, if you go right are level one, <laughs> like yeah. you, you can kind of roll through if you go left, but it's not technically impossible. But you'd still have to create the world to the left then because uh, at, at some point the player's coming back. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just keeping a player from going to somewhere where they're not supposed to go yet. Okay, um, okay. You know, or, or, or in general, you know, like uh, the, the other example I was thinking of was in Red Dead Redemption uh, uh, 2, you're like the game starts, you had some some mysterious, never explained bad attempt at cowboying in a uh, um, place called Blackwater. And there's nothing keeping you from going back there. You've got a bounty on your head if you go there, but and you're told like, oh, yeah, they're going to kill us if we try and go back there. But you can just walk on in like there's a there's a bridge and goes right into this kind of canyon pass. Um, hmm. If you go there, you're assailed kind of like Grand Theft Auto style, which, in fact, it's the same developers, Rockstar. So like bounty hunters on horseback just come tearing around the mountain <laughs> and they are limitless, not not just hard, but they're impossible to out to outgun. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, like Breath of the Wild, you can run straight into the castle at the beginning. You'll likely get your ass handed to you, but it's doable. In this, you just can't. Um, yeah. You, you can't go to Blackwater until it lets you go to Blackwater later, uh, if, it, if it decides to let you to. But that's, that's like the, one of the clever ways of, of not just drawing an invisible wall that says, sorry, you're not allowed to go here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that all, all that came up because we're talking exclusion rules. And I, I mean... The, the line works for like the, the, the invisible wall and out like example works for maybe some of them, but mm -hmm. the ability to duplicate oneself is excluded too. Yeah. And like that, so that doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, the ability to, uh, Oh wait, perfect copy of the soul. That almost sounds like duplicating yourself. No, it's not. It's different. Um, those are all Doris Finches in there. They're clone. They're, they're the same. They're not, you know, body jacked, uh, people who whose minds you've written over right so these are two different ways of of replicating yourself that are are both against the rules uh, all right i've rambled on this enough but i i needed to get all this out there because these exclusion rules are coming up too often and they're too varied you know mm -hmm. at the beginning comfort was an exclusion zone yeah of course you don't go there there's zombies like it was almost yeah. not even a question yeah. but now they're, they're they're left and right and they're all different and i desperately need to know <laughs> well at some point i'm sure you will yay huzzah in six months maybe we'll, we'll <laughs> see uh the um what, what were we here okay yeah so um june points out that they can fairly easily overpower the dirt golems um and but the fact is that the game in his overlay calls them basic dirt golems so maybe there's more advanced dirt golems and i just thought that was a good use of the game overlay to uh to you know extract information from the world that the fact that they have the basic modifier means there's more likely other other things uh 
worse things. I didn't catch that. I, I I did catch how he called them basic, but I also never mentioned this at the during this episode. I only read these chapters once. I don't know what my issue was. I didn't get around to reading them a second time this week. Um, oh, you were really bummed about Solus dying. Yeah, and I I was just I don't know. It's been a somehow went by really fast, but suddenly it was Tuesday again. <laughs> but uh, the yeah the the that I mean he's got meta information right. Mm-hmm. He knew that there was a way into um, Silmar City yeah. in a way that someone wouldn't have been able to know. Um, oh, we forgot to mention that they're having this conversation. They left. They basically told not Grindelwald to go fuck himself for a minute while they go off and, uh, I don't know. Have um, a private conversation behind wards. Yeah, I was going to say um, conspire, but they're only kind of doing that. It's only conspiring if you're doing something bad, right? Yes. No, wait. The Bayesian conspiracy is doing nothing wrong. Exactly. You can have good conspiracies. Yes. All right. So th- they're uh, morally upstanding. Uh, con- they're having a morally upstanding conspiracy to uh, um, discuss all this. So yeah, they- they've left. They left his cell. They're certainly. They're certainly not discussing murdering him at all. No, no, of course not. That, it would be wrong to to talk about that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I, I did want to just mention. Yeah, they have this. All this conversation is happening outside their cell because the next thing that happens. Um, is Amaryllis is trying to talk about, well, here's what I think we need to do. And she uses the N. Oh, I was going to make a joke. She uses the N word, um, yes. which in this case is narratively. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I forgot says, that was already a word before I started that joke. So, N- yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm looking at the quote right now, too. So I also had narratively on my mind. And yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, she uses the, the narrative N word, though. Yeah. Yes. And Fen says, you can conclude this without me, and steps outside the walls without another word. Which, like, yikes, man. That This is starting to become an issue. Yeah, I think Amarillo says, I wasn't aware that she was so sensitive to that word. And, you know, I, it's bordering on childish. Um, you know, it. there's a lot of subjects I hate talking about or hate thinking about. But if, if it's the stakes are this heavy, you know, I, I will grit my teeth and be uncomfortable for a few minutes, right? Um, yeah. But that said, maybe in her spider, maybe her spider sense goes off like mad whenever this this sort of talk comes up. And oh, it, I hadn't considered that. I'm just trying to think of a way to where so. she's not just being, like I said, almost childish about it. Um, I think she's just being almost childish about it. Like that's Finn. You gotta. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like people all have their quirks and some things that you don't like about them that. If you're accepting the person for who they are, I mean, maybe you can help them work on the things that you think they could do better, but you got to accept them with their faults too. And being kind of childish and immature about certain things like this is one of her faults that you can't have the rest of Fen without having that too. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's not like she's uh, has no redeeming qualities. Um, yeah. But this is, I, I had to pull this out because this is her, like demonstrably the first time, as I said, it was going to happen a couple chapters ago. Um, because this was all in one reading, so I got to like make my prediction first and be like, oh yeah, this is going to fuck with their ability to work together. And then boom, it's fucking with their ability to work together. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, so once she leaves, they uh, <laughs> Oh wait, sorry, they discuss- did, I, did I pull this out? I didn't mean to... Hmm. Uh, um, I, I did, and then I didn't put it in the notes, but it's... I need to... Um, they're, they're talking about like whether yeah, or not this it. is a trap, and uh, um, you know... Fen is saying, well, I can't say I'm that impressed by the prison so far. It seems like we're getting a bit of a free run because it thinks we could kick its ass. And Grax says it maneuvered, de- it maneuvered us deep inside. 
And June says, that's what she said. <laughs> High five, June. Yeah, he, he got a laugh from Fen from and disapproving glares from Amaryllis and Grack. But that, is, is that's pretty much what I maxed out? I think uh, it is. He, he didn't get a point for that one, so no, maybe it is. I think that I, like in some previous chapter, it showed his character sheet and uh, comedy was at 10. I think it was during the montage week where he sat there doing his you know stand-up routine over and over. Yeah, um, okay. but I, 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 he needs to dump one more point into socials so he can watch him get. Well, I guess he could still get critical fails even if he doesn't get level ups or increases. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I want, I want the game to tell him like that joke didn't work. Um, <laughs> all right, your joke was bad, and you should feel bad. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, after Fen steps out, uh, they start discussing whether they should take uh, Fen and his people or not, and. Uh, Amaryllis brings up the whole narratively thing, as you were saying, uh, that narratively, like, if we, if they don't take, uh, there's, they're basically expected to take him now. This is their quest, break him out of prison. And if they don't get him out of prison, it'll kind of fuck up the storyline and it'll come back and bite them in the ass later. Like, Fen, Fentir, Grindelwald will be written back into the story, uh, in some way where he comes back for revenge or something like the uh the skin of infinite water that turned a place <laughs> into a swamp that they had to come back to later and uh she says so you know we should just take him now anyway because we're gonna have to deal with him the game's gonna punish us if we don't and we'll have to deal with him uh in some point uh, uh if we leave him behind and june says we absolutely cannot do things just because the plot says so end of discussion on that which first of all very strong disagree like, this is a real legitimate um, complaint. If you know that God exists and the world runs on narrative, you can't just pretend it doesn't. Uh, but also, they are still discussing it, so that end of discussion did nothing. Yeah, it. I mean, they're, I'm still adjusting to how to think about them being aware that there's tropes and narratives involved, right? Mm-hmm. Because then the DM is aware that they're aware of that. And my, mm-hmm. my brain doesn't complete the circuit before I just keep reading the next sentence. So like, um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, because he's right. Like, no, you know, when I DM'd, if they did things because the plots that they were supposed to, I would kick them for it, right? Yeah. So if if we break them out because we think the narrative is making us, then we break them out and he kills all of us, right? If we do it well, because it's, it's the most sensible thing for us to do, narrative aside, then it can work out. I think that maybe is kind of the knife he's knife says he's trying to walk. Yeah, I I guess this. Oh, right. Okay, so we talked about this back in chapter one. Uh, this is where my notes on here are. I'm going to go ahead and drop down to my next comment here. He says that um, when a player would like try to do things because that's what he thought the plot was supposed to do instead of that's like what he actually wanted to do, do or what he thought his character would do in the moment that he would have a long out of character conversation with them about how it's not what uh it's not about doing what the dm has planned um but greg says except you would bring them back to the original plot as as he has said several times it's contradictory and june says yeah but you're just making all this crap up as you go along it's a process of reconciling different learned lessons and feeling your way along by intuition that's why I think we should. it would be fundamentally unwise to follow along with what we think the entity or the narrative or whatever wants from us. Maybe it's rolling its eyes at this conversation. And that is where I think uh, it comes down to that implied player DM contract that I mentioned earlier. That the point of the game is to work together to create a believable adventure story. 
and June like wants to honor that contract and trying to like do what you think the DM wants to do ruins that kind of collaborative storytelling. And he thinks that the DM will be pissed off if they do that. Uh, and so he just, I mean, it's not even that he thinks that they're going to be punished because either way, things are going to get worse for them and there are going to be more conflict. He just, he implicitly has this feeling where he does not want to break this contract. It feels like a sin to, to fuck up the the storytelling with this sort of out of story shenanigans and manipulations. And like, I kind of see the point of everyone else in his party though, because they just want to not fucking die. And if they have to manipulate the story or the DM to do that, then that's fine with them because, you know, I would like to not die too. And if that meant manipulating a storyline, then I would also do that. Um, but, but June thinks that's just going to get them in much worse trouble. And uh, if, since they're not trying to create a believable collaborative story at that point, I guess the difference to him is it still feels more like, more like an artifice than like real life. I mean, I think that's, Definitely, that last part's definitely true. I I don't know if his reasoning is like, look, we're breaking the social contract. I think I think it might just be no. Look, if my party members I was playing with, uh, like started talking about, oh no, June won't kill us in this elevator because we've got to go up and avenge this or whatever. You know, he 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 would kill them in the elevator. Maybe not kill them, but he would yeah. he would you know, oh no, you dropped your irreplaceable dagger. That right, you know, like he would fuck him over. Mm-hmm. So I think he's worried about being fucked over by trying to to invoke like, well, obviously we've got to do this because that's what he told you know he, we're clearly being told to do that. Um, yeah, it's uh, and then you have to yeah spring something on the players to subvert their expectations. Yeah, so I think that's what he's worried about is he doesn't want their expectations to be uh, or yeah he doesn't want doesn't want surprises. Um, yeah, I, I I wonder at some point. You know they're going to do something explicitly because they feel like narrative demands it, and it'll either work out, or I mean, or it won't. Yeah, they're great. I've covered my bases. Um, <laughs> something. Yeah, I, I I keep short circuiting when I think about uh, just the 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 layers involved. So really, I just need to see what happens, and I can start making predictions after that. <laughs> we also don't know if the, I think they're called post-dictions at that point. I mean, I can make predictions of the next kind of thing, but yes, I can, I can retrofit oh, oh, my okay. theory to fit the evidence after the fact. So I will, in fact, I have a great theory, but I'll wait until it's verified. Then I'll explain it after the fact, like a real scientist. Um, <laughs> that's some good sciencing. That's I right. approve. <laughs> um, I, I think that, uh, when they start doing something like that, then we can at least, I, at least I'll be informed enough to be like, okay, well now, well, no, I'll still be second guessing it. Okay, sure. It worked the first time, but maybe, you know, it won't the next time, you know, it, it narratively made sense for June to be the one to go into the bottle to save Fen, right? Yeah. He's the hero. They were, they were having a budding romance and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, solace just happens to be so fatigued from combat that she passed out. Like, yeah. you know, that, that, that sure looks like a cut scene to me. Um, he he basically comes right out and says, look, you did this to me. Please let me save her. He doesn't quite put it in those terms, but if praying to the DM doesn't get you a kick in the dick, then maybe bending over to narrative doesn't either. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, that, that's about my whole thoughts on it. Um, those good thoughts. And yeah, that's, I mean, there's no real answers 
yet. We're just talking it out. I mean, on a meta meta level, this is the, the this kind of conversation about the story. You know, it's one thing for us to sit there and talk about if we were reading Method Rationality for the first time, do we think Hermione will come back? You know, would it be narratively satisfying? Does it fit with whatever? Mm-hmm. Our characters are having that discussion. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah. Like, I've never read anything like this. So I'm severely enjoying that. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, um, Emerilis basically, I mean, I, I, I want your thoughts on this too. So she's like, all right, look, you need reasons to do this aside from narrative. I got a bunch. We need to heal you sooner rather than later. We need to get the locus out sooner rather than later. And I know that I said it was a distraction, but if you want a third path for solace, not oblivion or hell, this seems to be one of the, one of the, this seems to me to be one of the only ways that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And those are all solid reasons. Any one of them are like, okay, you know what? You're right. But I was wondering if 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 you think Amaryllis actually thinks that soul magic can raise the dead, or if she's just trying to give June more of a push. I think, well, no, I don't think she can. Act, she actually thinks soul magic can raise the dead, but I think that she would think if any if there was any chance for soul magic to raise the dead, it would be with June learning soul magic since he has proven he is the world breaking game hacking lever that changes everything. So like it's plausible that uh that he might be able to master soul magic to do this, whereas no one else could. But I don't think she thinks that soul magic under any other circumstances could save um Solus because obviously it's never saved anyone before. That checks out. I mean, uh, I guess they probably would have mentioned before now, by the way, soul magic can raise the dead. Um, yeah. If that was a known feat. But yeah, he does impossible things all the time, right? So mm-hmm. uh, she she could be, you know, and manipulating sounds dark lordy, but I'm off I'm off the Amaryllis is Voldemort train. So, you know, it's it's not necessarily bad to give somebody extra reasons to do the right thing that makes the most sense that will save their life. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it was really just the fact that, so the, the chapter ends, I think with him saying, I felt an uncomfortable sinking feeling in my chest. She could have led with solace and I probably would have changed my vote right then. He says, okay, Mm -hmm. I guess it's unanimous. Um, I guess it's unanimous because Fen doesn't get a vote because she walked out on the, on the democracy. (laughs) Um, I think her vote before she left was let's kill everybody. But, uh, yeah, I think that she could believe that it's impossible for soul magic to raise the dead and June might be able to use soul magic to raise the dead at the same time without that being contradictory. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm into it. Cool. Well, shoot. And that brings us to the end. It does. We, uh, well, you know, last episode, according to our discordians was, uh, we should think of a funny name for them. Candle something, somethings. (laughs) Our candle holders. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's, that's terrible. Yeah. But I thought there might be something there, but, Anyway, the Discord people said that last ep- last episode was the uh, second to longest by five minutes. So if this one's a little short, it averages out. I think we're still coming in at probably just under three hours on average. So uh, if I had one more random thing to to ask, I call them the party or the group or the team. Did mm-hmm. you want to help me brainstorm a good like team name for them real quick, just so I can you know not have to type so many words every time I talk about them in, in my notes? You mean June and his party? Yeah. I just generally go with the party. June's adventuring party. Yeah, but the party, you know, that's not a team. Hmm. I mean, do you want to give them a proper name like Avengers? Well, that would be a little on the nose. (laughs) 
it's the, the i don't know, you know the, the re- resurrectors the, the revengers because they're they're uh they, they're <laughs> no. all up for revenge nope yep oh and because they're me- they're meta like rick and morty is i, I was gonna say oh yeah though those were the um shoot what were those things no revengers was from thor ragnarok uh oh yeah okay. he he jokingly is like yeah i'm putting together a team oh yeah what's it called the uh the the revengers <laughs> okay. um what was the i forget yeah that that hilarious group of, of assholes from rick and morty um you know thinking of a team name turns out not to be as engaging as I thought it would be i just thought i'd give people five more minutes of meandering but i think that's it's everything i wanted to say don't, don't pad out with bad content we only pad out with good content yeah i mean there's nothing really that we didn't talk about here um that's good that means we can go start reading early and and get some dinner and you know maybe play with our loved ones because god knows that this podcast takes us away from them for a solid evening every week it's true usually i'm done with this at like 10 p.m and it's only 8 45 so high five bud um i know it's all to us well everybody we have four more chapters next week it sounds like yes we do and those chapters are 60 through 63. Their names are Aggressive Negotiations, Animus, Drift, and The Chemical History of a Candle. Ooh, I have no mm. idea what to make of that last one. Well, it probably involves chemicals and a candle. I don't know. I it, We'll it, find out it next week. It either does or it like explicitly is not about that. It's about, you know, because worth the candle. Hmm. I won't try and puzzle it out. This is... Uh, I said, reminded me to bring this up at the end uh, earlier. And I. Yes. I can't remember what that was. Do you remember what it was? Whether Solace is going to be brought back or not. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Shit. Well, what? It's got three years in that jar, right? Before it expires? Yeah. I mean, God, I don't know. Uh, she does say that Uther never raised the dead. Uh, yep. Doesn't she say something like that? Yeah, she says that outside yes, and they're talking does. about ways to save her. Mm hmm narratively i don't think she is like important enough to do something impossible for that way right right it, it, hermione was important enough to harry for him to decide then and there to rewrite reality and shake you know grab the universe by the balls and tell it who's boss um yeah i i don't think that solace fits that role amaryllis might um you know arthur does but I don't think mm-hmm. Solace does. So with that, I don't think that Solace. I think she's dead. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, All right, well that's we that. We might find out. Yes. Exactly. I guess I can. You know, I've been neglecting my little clue spreadsheet for like the last two months. I I write everything in the notes, and then I I don't know. Or, you know, I say everything. I don't know what counts as a real prediction or not, but this does. This is chapter fifty-nine. Solace stays dead. All right. All right. And with that, we have reached the end of our episode. So uh, uh, as we always say, throw us some money on Patreon if you'd like. Oh, also, like if you like this you can and, and don't want to throw us money or uh, you can just re- rate or review us on iTunes or whatever your podcasting catching app is service because those reviews always help. They help spread the word and get other people interested in this. And it really is a good story. So more people should be interested in it. Did I, uh, did I tell you that... I was looking through the reviews for HPMR uh, or for uh, methods. What is it called? The method of rationality podcast mm, like six okay. months ago. And I don't think so. it sorts them by like most recent. And one of them was a low rating because it hated me and Brian's. Uh, we want more. So I, I forget if they didn't like Brian's take or they didn't like, you know, my something or I, I just remember that, that I was like, Oh, 
this is Inyash's feed and he got a two-star <laughs> review because someone didn't like my thing on it. Yeah. Oh, well. So if someone wants to cancel that out and uh, <laughs> not give us a two, if you want to give us a yeah. two, just feel free not to. Right. Um, you know, fives are appreciated. Anyway. Fives are the best. Fours will be acceptable. That's right. And uh, anyway, this was fun. I enjoy doing these. I love coming out of these with energy and time in the evening to do stuff. So I'll quit sucking up our time. And uh, remember patreon for alexander this is and us but uh thanks again to alexander this is his game we're just playing it exactly and gosh is it a good game yay bye everybody